<laughs> That's just no self-control if you can't just wait till you're done pooping to eat some wrinkles. <laughs> Everybody, it's another Bat Fans podcast. Think that'll work? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a four-hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, hey, everybody, it's another Bat Fans podcast. This is episode number thirty-eight. Uh, my name. <laughs> 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 this is amazing. I'm like, wow, they've got show notes. They're so organized. <laughs> Fooled you. You know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go ahead with this. Uh, This is the Bad Fans Without Parents podcast. This is episode number 38. And uh, today we have Tim, Rob, uh, Terrence, and uh, Jinxie Baby, otherwise known as Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Jinxie Baby. I I love that. Refer to everybody by their Skype names on here. (laughs) Now that Rob, you're not Ellen and Rob's anymore, we can finally just call you Rob. (laughs) (laughs) No, we have Joe with us. Joe, as you know, is part of the Batman Universe comic podcast, which we're going to do our verses against today. So I don't really think you can participate, Joe, because um, there's a conflict of interest, because we want to make like we can win, not you guys can win. Oh, okay. Sorry. You know your people, I know mine. I thought we'd make it interesting and have like a... An actual debate, but I'm just going to sit here beat down. Is that, is that what's going to happen? <laughs> I was hoping you could maybe give us some secrets or, that we could use against you guys. But <laughs> That's what I was going to say, unless you want to tell us something that we don't know. We'll see when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> We're playing it coy right now. Huh? <laughs> well, Joe, thanks for joining us for this episode. I didn't know anybody listened to this thing. Uh, it's great to know that besides Alex, we have one other listener. That listens to us occasionally, so thank you. Pleasure. I was finding it cool, that's why I never emailed in. Yeah. <laughs> that's what everybody says, Rob, now Joe. <laughs> yeah. But thankfully we still got Alex. <laughs> yep, he sent us a good email this week too. Oh, so we also have a Facebook comment, so I thought that was uh, interesting too. We're moving up again, we're up to three. <laughs> <laughs> so who is it from? Uh, it's actually from Terrence's wife. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but it's a good one, so I, I think it needs to be read. <laughs> yeah, I asked her if she had a question. got milk, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, you have a question for us tonight? She's like, I'll put it on Facebook. So I was like, okay. All right, so Tim, why don't you get a start us? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm embarrassing myself in front of Joe. Joe's supposed to be a, a professional. I'm not supposed to know our dirty secrets. That's um, what I'm here. I'm going to report back to Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> you know how many times it took him to get started? Um, <laughs> uh, Tim, give us our featured topic for this episode. Will do. Yeah, so since Dylan Month is officially kicked off and we got Forever, Forever Evil starting, 
I thought we can go ahead and talk about some of our favorite Batman villain team-up stories or just stories where there's multiple multiple villains in it where they don't necessarily team up. So, of course, it could be from anything comics, Batman the Animated Series episodes, Raven the Mole episodes, movies, video games, anything. This is your favorite story with multiple villains. So, Joe, I guess since you're our guest of honor, uh, where do you want to start off with your favorite multiple villain story? Yeah, I was having a think, and I, I guess one of my favorites would have to be... Uh, the Batman the Animated Series episode Almost Got Him, I think is... Took mine. <laughs> um, I, I thought I'll leave someone Nightfall because it's the only other one that's like the, that's the main one. Yeah. But uh, no, definitely that episode is, is a lot of fun. I really enjoy that. And I guess it's not so much a team-up, but it's just the interaction, the kind of casual interaction between, I guess only three villains, but kind of four. And that's uh, I love that episode. Yeah, and I think it's cool about it, too, because it's something that really only the animated series could pull that off, because the way, like, they're mainly written in the comics now, or for a while, was like, you really don't think the Joker and Penguin and Two-Face Poison Ivy would all meet up to play a poker game, and, like, in the Nolan movies, you would never expect to see that to happen, but it's the animated series pulls it off perfectly. It reminds me of something like uh, the Flash's rogues would do more than Batman's rogues gallery, so... Something you wouldn't expect them all to do now, but in that episode, it just worked perfectly. I mean, just hearing them all share the stories, how they almost got Batman, it was just great. And then just the one-liners Joker had for all his stories, just awesome. And I love uh, Killer Croc's uh, one-liner in that. just makes me laugh every time I <laughs> hear him say, oh, you could hit him with a rock, and just, like, dead silence. Almost as if everybody's like, that is the worst thing to say, Croc. <laughs> <laughs> Now, of course, we've seen that episode a lot now, but when, do you guys remember when you first saw it? Did you ever suspect Croc was Batman? Because I never did when I first saw it as a kid. I was like, oh, that's Batman. No, that was a surprise, I could say, yeah. It's definitely a surprise, but then after the reveal, I was kind of like, oh, that kind of ruins that bit with Croc, the one line. But I guess it's so, it's something that he'd say anyway, so it's still, it's still funny. Yeah. <laughs> of course, Batman's not going to do anything that would make the criminal suspect that's not Croc. So, yeah, you'd expect Croc to say something like that. If Batman was like, oh, if I were you guys, I would have done this, and that would have maybe got me. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just like the, you know, when the reveal of it is the, I think it's, I want to say the chandelier, but it's the light casts the shadow across Killer Croc, and just like, oh my gosh, I was the same way. I didn't even remotely think that it was Batman. I remember rewinding the episode uh, when I had it finally got on a VHS to see, you know, if I could, uh, find out were there any clues that they were he was letting us know that it was Batman but it was just so wonderfully done that until the reveal you've got no idea that it's Batman the whole time so yeah and then another one that was probably probably a more grand scale of having villains team up is the episode trial I always like that one I know there's some fans out there saying eh, it's just like there to get all the villains in one episode but to me it worked really good and if anything maybe it could have served as like a final like a true final episode for Batman the animated series because the concept of it was pretty cool, where all the Arkham inmates are putting Batman on trial for, like, making them the way they are and having Two-Face be, like, the prosecutor to put Batman, or to prove that Batman's guilty for all that, and having the current DA of Gotham try to defend them. Which is a great concept, just seeing all those villains. Even though a lot of them didn't have any lines, but just seeing them all together, I always thought was really cool. I think I remember, too, that before uh, the Phantasm got greenlit to be the movie, that 
this concept of trial was going to be the feature like movie that they wanted to do something with all the villains but I thought even just as a single episode it was really fun to see I don't know if you guys like that one more as Almost Got Him I wouldn't say it's quite up there as Almost Got Him but probably my second favorite animated series episode with the multiple villains yeah that was pretty awesome and I, I believe uh, Paul Dini mentioned that on uh, Kevin Smith's podcast I think that's where I, I heard that but uh, yeah I always, I always enjoyed that episode it was kind of fun how they um we're getting their revenge on Batman, and it, it fit with Two-Face, with him being the former district attorney and having that legal background and everything. It, it, it was kind of fitting and a lot of fun. Yeah, I enjoy that episode. It's probably one that I haven't seen. As, I don't really know why, but it's one I haven't seen as much as the other episodes, but it's one that I've always enjoyed, so I don't know why I don't watch it more often. I'm kind of in the same boat. It's one when I put in my animated uh, DVDs, I end up, kind of skipping around that's one I always seem to skip over unless I'm just ha- having it run and it's just going from one episode to the next and I end up catching myself going I don't know why I skip over this one all the time it's it, I always enjoy it but as I'm going through it I'm like yeah that's a it's all right but then once I watch it I'm like ah oh, that is really pretty good so um, I I always thought that episode actually starts off a little slow though uh, once they you know it gets going a little bit more. It's at least for me. It, I think it just kind of lags a little bit in the beginning. Maybe that's why I kind of skip over it. But I do enjoy it when I watch it. <laughs> it is probably the closest I would say to any episode where they almost found out who Batman really was. I mean, Joker was pulling the cow right off till uh, the DA Van Dorn threw that battering in the light and shattered it. This one probably my favorite line of the episode is where uh, Batman escaped and the Joker shooting the machine gun and Crocs there like vitriolic is all. Or Scarface is, stop shooting, you'll hit Croc. And Joker just looks at him like, what's your point? <laughs> he just keeps shooting at him, and then those electrical wires end up electrifying Croc. There's a lot of a lot of funny moments like that in the episode is what I think makes it really good to watch. But uh, I guess for you, Rob, what's your favorite multiple villain uh, Batman story? Uh, probably the one that brought me kind of back into comics uh, almost full-time was Hush. Um, I okay. love the... Love the concept of Hush, and it felt like every issue, you know, you'd have Poison Ivy, and you'd have Catwoman, and then you have the Riddler in there, uh, you know, Joker starts out in the story, not, nobody's really interconnected all that much, but it was, uh, Loeb and Lee have both kind of said it was kind of their way to splash, like, look, look who we have on this page, and look who we have on this page, um, and then just having, you know, Hush in there, and he actually is one of my favorite villains right up there with Black Mask. And I always throw uh, Under the Red Hood in there as well as kind of a, I wouldn't call it a team up between Black Mask and the Joker. It's more of like Black Mask is frustrated with this Red Hood character and who can he get? Gets the Joker and realizes, crap, I just made the worst decision by getting this crazy clown. So um, my first choice would be Hush, and as an honorable mention, I would go with you know Under the Red Hood movie. Oh, well, there's something about Hush where I just kind of had that feeling like you mentioned, where it's just almost like, oh, they're just putting that villain in there just to have him in there. I mean, just to think to have like Joker, Rachel Ghoul, and all these other villains all in one series would be like the most epic bat- battle Batman would have to face, but all like stuff that really didn't last too long. So yeah, it was cool I... to see him, but it was like uh, it didn't really amount to that much in the end. And I think it was if. If I heard that correctly on uh, the Fat Man on Batman when he was talking to uh, Jim Lee, that that was they were kind of like, well, now we have Jim Lee on the Bat title. Let's see how he looks drawing Superman, how he looks at drawing, you know, uh, this. I think it was a way to kind of show all their kind of 
many of their many of their flagship characters as they could possibly cram in there. So I, I always just like love flipping through the book and just looking at what he's drawn. But as far as story wise, it's a bunch of little vignettes that you could take almost all the villains completely out of it, other than Hush and you know, the story still stands pretty much on its own. So they don't really serve a purpose, but um, I just liked it for that just because I was like, you know what, I, I kind of miss collecting comics, and I kind of stopped there and started there and hadn't stopped. Hey, can I ask you, because um, one of my favorite villain team-ups, and a lot of people don't like it, so I'm wondering if you guys like it, but I love it. I think it's great, and I think it's a great kind of team-up of villains is Hush Returns, the sequel to Hush, and that was not... That was uh, A.J. Uh, Lieberman, um, I think, did that, and a couple other people, um, Javier Pina. Uh, and so, uh, but I really like that because there's this whole dynamic with the Riddler and the Joker, and they're kind of teaming up where the Riddler is giving Joker information on who they, they say is the Joker's wife, but with the Joker you never know. And then there's the whole sort of confrontation. It's more of a, a confrontation and a battle between the Joker and Hush, and the Joker is really really a bad dude in that one. He's really cool, and um, uh, I, I've, I really like the Hush Returns and the whole Joker-Hush-Riddler dynamic in that one, but did you guys like that one, or, or are you like most people and don't really like that? Oh, I, I liked it. I'm, I'm of the same opinion. I don't understand why people don't like it as much. I'll say, oh, you know, I mentioned that one, like, eh, you know, I, I just, I don't yeah. get it. I, I thought it was done very well, and it is a, a nice sequel, I, I guess, if you call it that. Yeah. No, I mean, I read Hush fairly recently, I guess. It was something that I kind of was aware of, but never had picked up. And I got the collected edition. And um, the first, I guess, three issues worth about that, I really wasn't enjoying it. Um, maybe it's something to do, but I pretty much knew the story going into it. And I'm not that keen on Jim Lee. Like, I, I'm not, I don't dislike his art. It just it doesn't do anything for me. I don't really get the... The, like the mania around him, but I, I mean, after a few issues worth in, like a quarter of the way into the book, it started picking up. I think it had a bit of a slow start, and maybe that's because, like you're saying, it's kind of just a showcase for Jim Lee's art. And I, I, like Jeff Lowe's work with Tim Sale and stuff, I, I think is a lot better. It picks up faster, and it kind of keeps on going. Whereas this built to something, and like it, it was. I did enjoy it, especially around halfway through, and I started going like, oh, who is this Hush character? I was like, I already know this, but it really was kind of a a good mystery story, even though, like, it's got that classic trope of, oh, a new character's entered the book, but they kind of explain it away in a decent way. So I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I, I thought I would after reading it. But, yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of villains in. I'm not sh- don't think they necessarily team up so much. They're kind of just... Uh, yeah, like you said, it does make for a bunch of great uh, wallpapers. <laughs> I use my desktop a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I have it in uh, two hardcover, like volume one, volume two, and I'll agree, with Joe, that it's uh, volume two is is the better read. Uh, volume one is is kind of slow in paced and beautiful, you know, splash pages and all that. But I think the real meat of the story. And you can, I think you could read volume two and not need volume one, like or like you said, the second half of the book is the better part of the story. Yeah, personally, I think Nightfall did a much better job of using lots and lots of villains, and I like the way how Bane kind of broke them all out of Arkham to use them against Batman to tire him out and to wear him down and to spread his 
resources and his uh, support staff super thin so then he could break Batman. And then it, it makes the whole confrontation with Bane believable because if they just had an issue and Bane, you know, broke Batman's back, you'd be like, oh, come on, it's Batman. But after reading, you know, I think at that point it was coming out every week or at least every other week uh, between Detective and, and Batman, uh, you know, just Batman just being worn thin and getting every villain and going after them. And then you you... you it set it up that you could believe that Bane could break his back and defeat Batman because it wasn't Batman at full strength. It was Batman at a, a shadow of his self. Um, so I think Nightfall did the best job of trying to like show you every villain um, in one series or one you know story arc. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, like you said, it's certainly like we're hushed. It's not like they were just popping up just so you could see Jim Lee draw them. This one, they kind of Nightfall actually served a purpose of, like you said, wearing Batman out and having, like you said, to be believable how much Bane just tore him apart when he actually fought him. I mean, especially the last encounter he had before his fight with Bane with Joker and Scarecrow. Yeah. And being gassed with Scarecrow's fear toxin. And yeah. Seeing Jason Todd being killed by the Joker all over again. Yeah. That, and I'm glad you said that, because that, I thought that was always a really cool team up. I completely forgot about it till this point of the Joker and Scarecrow. I thought, what a unique combination you have, you know, the insane, clown and then that you know would be scary enough on its own but then to have the scarecrow be able to induce fear and make the joker seem even scarier just the two of them i thought that was you know i don't know if that had been done before a joker and scarecrow team up but i was kind of surprised it hadn't been done before that and i like their fallout too you know yeah. where, where joker's just real dismisses of them and like oh well you know yeah. scarecrow tries to gas and has like no effect on them. yeah yeah <laughs> uh, there's always an image that sticks out to me whenever i think about the joker the uh, scarecrow nightfall team up i don't remember what issue it is but there's this one sequence where the scarecrow and joker are in their hideout and scarecrow is just eating like potato chips with like half his mask pulled up <laughs> For some reason, that image always sticks out when I think of that. They should use that in, like, a Frito-Lay commercial or something, yeah. <laughs> hey, the other one I liked a lot, which I, I there's another one you guys may like or not like, but I it's more of a fun team-up. It's more of, like, a comedy relief, and it's been in a, a few um, formats in, in the animated series, in the digital shorts, in, in the comics, but I've always liked the uh, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy team-up. I don't know why that is. I just uh, it, It's normally done a lot of times for comedy, but I, I do like how they have that kind of, uh, oh, kind of like, it's kind of BFF kind of, you know, psycho relationship. Uh, but what do you guys think of that one? Yeah, the first episode of Harley and Ivy is awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's something you yeah. wouldn't expect for them to team up but it just when you put them together it works perfectly so yeah I, I haven't read too many other stories besides the main episodes in Batman the animated series where they team up but uh, I of course have read the Gotham City Sirens when that was out a few years ago but yeah overall I mean they're a partnership that it's fun to read like you said even though you wouldn't expect it to be when you, you just say Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn I don't think those go together but it turns out they do yeah, and even this week in Batman Black and White, number one had a Harley uh, uh, Poison Ivy team up. And uh, the one I, I really like, if, if you get the um, DVD for, uh, what was it, Birds of Prey, it's on there, and I think it's on the internet. They had this uh, digital short called Gotham Girls uh, that was all a Harley and, and um, 
Poison Ivy team up, and it had the Batgirl in it, and Catwoman, and I think a few others. Montonia was in there. Anyone who was like a female in the DC universe, bat related, was in it, and those were a lot of fun. And um, I was curious what that was. I just picked up Birds of Prey uh, from Walmart, probably almost a month ago now. I haven't got around to watching it. I saw that was a feature on there, and didn't you didn't put it in, didn't know what it was. So I'm going to have to really put that in now and check it out. So I was unaware that, that that's what that was. Yeah, they were, I guess, originally digital shorts on the Internet for, I, I don't know what they were promoting. Uh, but, um, yeah, they're fun. You know, it's not the Dark Knight Returns. It's not going to be dark and heavy, but they're just, they're short. They're like, I think they're like three minutes each or so. Um, but they're they're pretty fun. And I, I like Birds of Prey. Have you seen Birds of Prey before, or did you... Uh, is this the first time you'll see it? This will be the first time that I've seen it, other than uh, just some little clips and trailers on the inter- Internet, um, other than probably, like, the, the promo for it when it was on, and for whatever reason, I never checked it out. So this will be completely new, and I was picking up my wife's like, oh, I don't know, and I flipped the back of it over, and I'm like, hey, look, your guy from uh, Criminal Minds, Morgan's on there. She's like, oh, I like him. So, yeah, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead pick it up. <laughs> Yeah, you guys are talking about that short-lived WB series, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I couldn't get into it when it first came on. I mean, the first few seconds of the episode are pretty cool because you have Mark Hamill doing the voice of the Joker, <laughs> like yeah. doing some killing joke stuff, but it's the characters I really couldn't get into. Probably Barbara was the best one, but Huntress and uh, Black Canary, like, uh, <laughs> I didn't like the portrayal of them in the series. I have that DVD, but it's a German import, because you can't <laughs> get it over here. So it, it plays in English, but the whole box, like, I can't understand anything on it. But I've only watched a couple of episodes so far. But yeah, I remember that Gotham Girls. Um, it's quite like a crude flash animation type thing, but it's quite funny. It, it just doesn't look that great. Did they get the original voice actors for that? Because I've never seen those. I don't think. I, I think there's. I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it is Tara Strong doing the voice of Batgirl. Um, I'm not sure. I'm trying to find the DVD here, but I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably in the living room. And Tim, I, it looks like it's the same voice cast. You got Arlene Sorkin was Doc, uh, Harley Quinn. Tara Strong was uh, Batgirl. Bob Hastings was Commissioner Gordon. Um, and then Adrian Bar- Barbio Barbo. Selena Kyle and yeah. Name Montagna. Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, yeah, it looks like it's the uh, animated series people. That's cool. That's cool. I didn't realize. I mean, being such a hardcore animated series fan, it's kind of embarrassing to say that I never saw <laughs> Yeah. Stacey Randall did Zatanya. I forgot Zatanya was in one of them, yeah. But going back to the whole uh, the comics of team-up storylines or multiple villains, I wouldn't say The Long Halloween is definitely a cool story, but I wouldn't say it's the greatest, like, multiple villain uh, feature that has all these villains in it, but the one sequence I did love in it is at the very end where you get the scene where Falcone comes into that room and Two Face and all the villains are there, and it's kind of like showing where the old mob way of crime in Gotham's going away, and like the costume like freak show villains are taking over Gotham. Yeah, I just love that mm-hmm. whole sequence how it played out, and Two Face ended up ends up shooting Falcone. It is like a cool transition of like a changing of the guard type thing of crime in Gotham. There's a part of me that when The Dark Knight was coming out and there was talking about how it's going to be kind of based on the long Halloween and there's still going to be the mob element. I was kind of hoping there'd be some sequence like that, maybe like Two-Face and the Joker, because I thought that would have been really cool to see and kind of have that 
the Nolan universe build that way where we saw the mob element in Batman begins and then like you see the Joker coming into Dark Knight and Two Face and then like they take over but of course it still ended in a great way but I was just kind of hoping before and I saw it was like oh it'd be so awesome we saw a scene like that in the movie yeah yeah the whole ending of the long Halloween is awesome and spoilers don't don't listen if you haven't read it before but the end scene stuck with me speaking of scenes that stuck with me uh there's no potato chips in it but that last <laughs> art panel where um uh, Two Faces' wife, Harvey Dent's wife, has got the gun and putting it in the the furnace. Or the, I, I it's been a while since I read it, but that kind of like, oh my gosh, it was her, and it, it, that really stuck with me. So, yeah, that that was a really good one. I was gonna say, I, I was, when it's collected, you definitely get all the villains in there. But I think it's kind of a villain per issue. So when if you read it that way, you're kind of as you read it, you kind of get one, then another, then another, then another. So like they're all cool in there but they don't interact yeah because unfortunately I never read it in like single issues I just read the, the big trade that came out so when like, reading it that way yeah, it probably does have that more like a villain feel for each of the, the whole story when you're reading it one by one but when reading it in the whole story it just kind of doesn't kind of make you think of a big old team like villain team up or story with a bunch of villains that you think about because the thrust of it is of course the Harvey Dent the holiday killers thing in it but Either way, so that, that moment's just as cool. <laughs> and I think you can easily say that it is the greatest Calendar Man story ever told. <laughs> <laughs> and that book wasn't even on my radar until I had read Hush. And, all, you know, from the writers of Long Halloween, I'm like, what? So I didn't actually read it till, um, you know, much later. I think Hush is, what, 2004, 2005 or whatever, so. Yeah. It's weird. I just did a search for Calendar Man in the Long Halloween because I wanted to make sure he, it, it was him cause before I said it. And there's all these pictures, and one of Jerry Costanza came up. So I guess <laughs> he would actually he'd probably make a good uh, <laughs> Halloween man. Ah, Halloween man. Hello. Halloween. Calendar Man. <laughs> hey, I think I just invented a character. I, I, that's copyright. I'm going to copyright that. Halloween man. <laughs> he sounds just like... George Costanza. Can I call him Jerry Costanza? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, you know, I'm back in school now, and so I'm not getting a lot of sleep. So, yeah, who knows what the heck I'm saying. <laughs> Jerry Costanza is Halloween man. <laughs> and Kramer Seinfeld is a joke. <laughs> yeah. There is um, one more story that I can think of which I really like, and that's uh, Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. And that's kind of... I forgot about that, even though it's recent. Yeah, but I think it's because it's kind of not in continuity, or it's, it's kind of a look at the whole of Batman and stuff, so it, it doesn't really take place in, in any kind of time, and I think that's one of the great things about it. It's really kind of meta, and, and I love Andy Kubert's art at the most best of times, but he kind of changes his style to match different eras and stuff like that, and, and it's kind of... It's one of those books that you get more out of it the more you read it, so I, I really enjoy that book. Yeah, that's a great one. I thought about that one, too. And Neil Gaiman, I mean, he just, he, he can just expand what a comic is with his writing. And, uh, yeah, his his writing on that is, it, when the first time you read it, I, at least for me, I was very confused. Like, what is going on? What is this kind of? And then it's like when you get to it and it's like, wow, this just kind of blew my mind here for a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's like I haven't read it since it first came out, but it's like it's totally slipped my mind. And I'm like... <laughs> I want to go check it out again because it's like I remember it being really cool, but but the same. It's been a while since I read it, so I want to refresh my memory on it because I remember a lot of cool stuff on it. Like you said, happened to it. So now I'm gonna go dig it up. 
Okay. Well, and here's where I get kicked off the podcast this week. I have never read it. <laughs> Uh-oh. Rob. <laughs> I, I know. You're going to make it this one without saying anything that was going to get you kicked off. <laughs> I know. So, like, I'm, I just wrote the title down. I'm like, I got to go check this out. I mean, I've, I've seen the title. I'm like, I wonder what that is. So sad, so sad, Rob. I, I actually thought you were going to say your favorite team up was um, Poison Ivy and Mister Freeze and Batman and Robin. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> I to see you. Chiller reception, darling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you kill his wife just by kicking out this plug, and that'll do it. Yeah. I just saw a uh, a fan recut of like this is how the movie should have been recut. Would you still go see it? It was supposed to be like a modern cut with kind of like some Dark Knight type movie. And I was still like, ah, no, I probably wouldn't go see it. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, with like a fan cut of it, just going to be the end credits. <laughs> That's the only way you'd be able to watch it still. Even the end credits are lame with the three of them running to nowhere in shadow. Like... <laughs> And then the best review of that film I heard is someone just commenting on a disappointingly chubby Batgirl. Well, that's kind of what we commented on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking of the movies, though, I think it's safe to say that the Nolan movies outdid the Schumacher and Batman Returns film as far as team up goes. But, but it is controversial. Oh, sorry. No, I'm just going to say, unless any of you guys like those team ups better than what Nolan did, maybe I'm just. Speaking on myself and assuming everyone feels that way, but as far as the movies go, which one would you say had the best multiple villain storyline in it? Because I think what Nolan did, one of the things he did best in those movies is that he made having multiple villains in the story work like no other super movie, superhero movie has done before, I think, because it's not just your typical have two villains and then they end up teaming up together saying, oh, we have to take down Batman because he did this to us, so we'll work together and bring him down because two against one, we have the advantage. But he just thought of clever ways of having these multiple villains in it where they're not necessarily teaming up, like Joker and Two-Face and the Dark Knight. Both were used perfectly in that. So out of the movies, anyway, which one would you say had the best storyline where it made having more than one villain in it work? Yeah, that's tough because I, actually I think the first movie, uh, the um, Scarecrow, Raja Ghoul uh, team up is a, is a true team up, and in the third movie, the Tayal Ghoul uh, Bane is a true team up. But to decide which is the best is tough. That's oof. yeah. I at least for me, the best would be the first one, Batman Begins, because he kept uh, Scarecrow keeps talking about he you know his benefactor won't like this and. Uh, not even thinking it's going to be Ra's al Ghul or, you know, trying to think, well, who who could this person be? And then you realize, oh, wow, they were in cahoots the whole entire time, um, which I guess you could say the same for Bane and Talia, too. Um, but I think partway through the movie uh, for Dark Knight Rises, I think a lot of it was kind of spoiled. So going into it, go, oh, that's got to be Talia, you know. And if Bane was part of the League of Shadows, then maybe they're in cahoots together. But um, I just think for a surprise factor and how well it meshed, and then how Raish was even kind of like just real dismissive, not dismissive, but realized that Scarecrow is the pawn, but he needed that particular pawn. So it was a team-up, but clearly Raish has was the controlling and deciding factor. I just I just think that worked with the complete, you know, overtake of the of the city and then using this crazy scientist, you know, fear toxin that, you know, let the city turn it 
turn itself apart, and then Raish can be there to just kind of point people in the right direction. So Yeah, that's good, but I'm going to go with the second one. Even though it's not a true team-up, just because that scene in the hospital with Two-Face and Joker is, I think, one of the greatest scenes of all time, let alone a Batman movie. And just the way the Joker manipulates Two-Face and, I'm just a dog chasing his tail, and the planners and the schemers, and and then Two-Face is so true to character where he just says, I'm going to let the coin decide, and just the the rage that he has. I mean, both those actors are just phenomenal in that scene. And... um you know, and it's so bizarre. He's wearing a nurse's outfit, and he's got the Harvey Dent sticker. I mean, that, to me, uh, it just puts that one over the top. But I, all three, I think, are awesome. I mean, it's it's hard to decide. It, it's a tough decision, but I'll go with the Two-Faced Joker. I'm not entirely convinced by this. <laughs> I'm not a huge Nolan enthusiast, but uh, I think out of all of Nolan's films, I think the first one makes the most sense. Because the third one is like, oh yeah, Bane, he's the big bad in this film. Oh, he's just a pawn. So that kind of still is a bit of a letdown. Me too. Uh, and the second one, I mean, you really said it's not so much a team up, it's kind of Joker creating Two Face in a way. I don't believe that turn. I think that there are parts that are true to the character in there, but I don't think, because of the way that Harvey Dent was being played throughout the first. It's like, oh, it's like a three-hour-long film, isn't it? So like the first two hours of Harvey Dent and then his sudden turn, I don't really buy it. So I think that the performances in that scene are really good, and there are bits of it that like, are true to the, the character, but I don't, I don't believe the actual turn. And I think that, it's like, that, that film was over long for me. I, mean, I don't think you needed the two-face in there at all, but oh well. I'm, I'm, I know that. I'm probably just wrong for this because it's so <laughs> how popular the film is and how many people tell me I'm wrong. So I've accepted it now. Well, now, Joe, you can join Rob as being kicked off the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never well, be invited. Well, I, say, I, love, go ahead. I, say, I love Batman Returns as well, so... <laughs> well, I think you could... If, if Batman Returns was the first to kind of do that in the superhero movies, having two villains in there, mm-hmm. but they actually team up. So I think that one, if like if you have a problem with that same old like thing that happens in every superhero movie, Batman Returns could maybe, at least for me anyway, get a pass on that since they are the first ones pretty much to do that. But every other sequel superhero movie where it's more than one villain, like this gets tiring. With of course with the Schumacher films and then with the Spider-Man films, which the Spider-Man three took it to a whole nother level, <laughs> which was yeah almost as bad as Batman and Robin is having too many villains in there. Yeah. Well, you can I, say what you want about Batman Returns. It has its faults and all those penguins with bombs strapped at the end and all that. But the scenes where Penguin and Catwoman are together and interacting are awesome, especially the scene where she puts the bird in her mouth and everything and, and did that for real. I mean, those are some really good scenes. And Danny DeVito is really funny. And Catwoman, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer looks amazing and plays it great. Um, so... I mean that that movie definitely has some scenes in it where I'm just like, what the heck is this? But the the scenes with the two of them are I, I love those scenes. I could watch those over and over again. For me, I always kind of lean towards uh, Batman Forever. Um, I don't know if, what it was if Jim Carrey was at his height there. Yes, it's you know way more comic comic relief and all that type of stuff, but. Um, I just liked the the lighter tone of it, and it was it was a fun uh, Batman movie. Then you know that fun spiraled into campy, crazy, corny Batman and Robin. 
but I think that was that's really kind of I, I wouldn't say skating a line. It's leaning more towards the fun side. But if you would have had just those three films, Batman, Batman Returns, and then Batman Forever, I, I could believe it was one cohesive semi, you know, universe. Um, I think uh, Billy Williams would have been would have been cool to see what he would have done with a two-faced character against uh, Jim Carrey, but um, uh, you will never know. But I, I, I do like that more than I like the Penguin and Catwoman. Yeah, so Two-Face and Riddler, to me, just, they just went too over the top of a lot of the scenes where, like, guys can tone it down just a little bit, maybe try to be a little serious in some of these sequences. Even though I know it's supposed to be lighter in tone than what Tim Burton did, but it just got way too over the top for me to kind of really take it seriously and enjoy it as a Batman fan. It was like, yeah, nowhere near as bad as Batman Robin, but that's kind of what started and kicked it off that we're going to get more campiness in the Batman movies. So. Yeah. For the old ones, I definitely go with the Batman Returns. Well, speaking of campiness, one of the ones I liked, and I saw this when I was a kid, and I didn't know what camp was, and I took <laughs> it serious, but the very first Batman movie, the one with Adam West and Burt Ward, that, to me, was really cool because the, the story of that was Joker and Penguin and Riddler and Catwoman all team up. And I had never seen that before. I think on the old show, I don't recall a team up. Not all of them teamed up. So to see that movie as a kid and see all of them there at a time when I took it serious and, you know, this was before Tim Burton was making movies and things like that, that was really cool to see. I don't know if any of you had that same experience or by the time you saw it, <laughs> you were you knew what camp was. I, I saw it uh, going over to my aunt's house and watching the reruns of the show. So it wasn't until, you know, I guess I had seen pretty much all of the old show. I saw that and thought, oh, wow, you know, they, they ended up making a movie afterwards and realizing it was kind of sandwiched, you know, somewhere in the middle and all of that, um, which I think that makes me like Batman forever just a little bit more as far as the villain stuff go, because it kind of reminds me of that Batman, uh, Adam West, Burt Ward type movie of them, you know, just, yeah, it's a slapsticky, but I, I think that's why it's kind of on my radar a little bit more, but I, I really like that, you know, seeing all the villains all in one place together. And I, I can understand why people, why filmmakers and comic book, industry or whatever want to sandwich as much as you can in there because it's sometimes more sells. It doesn't mean it always works the way it should, but... You get them all in one submarine in that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw it as like a five or six-year-old kid. And like you said, Sarah, I thought it was the coolest thing to me at, at the time for Batman. I've seen all these villains put together in one movie. Like, oh, man, this is so awesome. But the thing I always wonder is, why do they always wear those, like, Bank robber mask. Everyone knows that. That's the joke. That's the <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Riddler wears it in the comics lot, so I give him a pass. And Catwoman too. But it's like, why is Joker and Penguin wearing those masks? <laughs> yeah, it's funny in some scenes that the Riddler has his up, but the Penguin and Joker still keep theirs down. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I thought let me scratch my head. Now the Riddler normally wears it, but he's got it up, and the other two have it on. What's going on? <laughs> And if memory serves, I think Catwoman pretends to be like some kind of Russian ambassador or some kind of Russian person Kit, in it. And it's Kitka, right? It's Kitka. Yeah, yeah, and seduces Bruce Wayne. And even as a kid, I was like, how does he not know that that's Catwoman? Like, even as a five-year-old, I'm like, that's so obviously Catwoman. So, world's greatest detective. 
But uh, I thought I was going to something else about the Batman movie. <laughs> I forgot. It. Yeah. You threw me off with the Miss Kitka stuff. <laughs> yeah, I did think the shark repellent was good. I had no no idea that was campy. I was like, oh, good thing he had that. You know, <laughs> smart. Yeah. It's not I, that bomb too. <laughs> yeah. I came to that film later because I mean you don't really get it over here as as readily, and I mean I'm younger than you guys, so. But so I came to it and I, I recognized that it, you know, wasn't really a serious take. But I, I kind of appreciate it for the two levels it has. I kind of, uh, whilst I could never really see it as, as that, you know, like you guys say you saw it as serious when you were younger. I never really got that. But I kind of appreciate that that's, I, I, I understand that people saw it as that. But at least I get to see the kind of, like it's actually is really funny and it's intentionally so. It's not just like looking back on it, it's like, oh, that's kind of goofy. It's, it's actually, like, almost a comedy film, and like, I really appreciate it. I think it's just a lot of fun, and I appreciate that they did that with the character. Yeah, and the thing I love about all that uh, 66 Batman and all that is Adam West, even though it's really funny, he he doesn't play it as a, a comedic role or a jokester. Like, he plays it deadpan, serious Batman. Like, you could have taken his performance... And now it's not the greatest, but you could have put him in the Dark Knight or in a Dark Knight Rises, and that's the Batman. It's just all the other stuff going on around him and the the, the quips by Robin and, you know, it, it, the things he are saying are co- comical. But his actual performance is pretty serious, and so it's it's kind of a it's kind of a fun thing to watch as a Batman fan. Surprised he hasn't lobbied to be in the new uh, Batman Superman movie because I remember when Batman Begins and all that, even the Burton Schumacher movies, he always wanted to play Batman's uncle in them. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's one cool thing about the Marvel movies is they'll do that. They'll put like Lou Ferrigno and as a cameo in the Hulk, and they put Stan Lee in all the movies. But you know, DC has kind of not done that except for uh, Lois Lane in the first Superman movie. Uh, I don't I don't recall them ever doing that. Well, I think you could have gotten away with it in the Nolan movies, I don't think, but like maybe in the Burton Schumacher films, yeah, you could have. Yeah. But I think it depends on the tone, because it works well with the Marvel stuff. I always love Stan Lee's cameos, but in the Nolan stuff and even in Man of Steel, I don't think those like type of cameos would work. I, I would just love it if in one of the DC movies, like Man of Steel 2 or something, they put um, Stan Lee as a cameo in the movie, <laughs> and then just he was like, wait a minute, I'm in the wrong movie, or something like that. They would never do it, because they'd try to be all serious, but I just think that would be hilarious. He would even just, it. it would just turn to the camera, and it's like, hang on, I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. <laughs> but you'll have to say Excelsior before he takes off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I saw red, white, and blue. I thought that was Captain America. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool, well, I think that's, at least for me, anyway, covered a lot of our favorite uh, villain stories. Any other ones that you guys want to mention? Uh, I just wanted to mention the, the villain team-up I always like is, uh, and it's been done in a few formats, but when the Joker teams up with Lex Luthor, I think we were on a previous podcast, we talked about the Batman-Superman movie, but even going back, I had that this book from when I was a kid, um, The Greatest Joker Stories Ever Told, and there's a um, Joker-Luthor team-up story in that um with the art by Dick Sprang, which looks awesome, from 1959. So they've been kind of doing those Joker-Luther um, team-ups for a while, and then it usually involves a Superman-Batman team-up as well. But um, I, I always like the Joker-Luther team-up because they're both equally evil, but they're exact opposites. And, you know, the jo- Luther is always so calculating and so controlled and 
every word is planned out and every thought, and then you've got the Joker who is just the complete opposite, loose cannon, and seeing them work together and probably the all-time greatest scene is in the Batman Superman movie when uh, Joker and Luther are, are about to go to fisticuffs and instead of them fighting Harley Quinn and uh, the Luther's uh, bodyguard yeah, Mercy fight it out and just watch <laughs> I love that That's, even I have heard Paul Dini talk about that on the uh, Fat Man on Batman talking about I don't know how we got away with that one but that was good I think probably my favorite Joker and Luther moment came when uh, at the end of Infinite Crisis at the very end, where like they meet Alexander Luthor in the alley, and then the Joker and the Luthor just take him out, saying like, "You should have known better not to include the Joker in your big plan." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was awesome. I thought yeah. that was a great way to end it. And even my favorite Luthor scene—I mean, this is kind of get into later on—but um, the um, my favorite Luthor scene of all time was in the Justice League. I think it's Justice League Unlimited when he switched places with the uh, Flash. Yeah, and he goes in the back. He's like, I can finally see who the Flash really is. And he lifts up the mask. He's like, I have no idea who this guy is. And then uh, Jeff Johns kind of—I think he paid tribute to that because in Forever Evil number one this week, when um, and I, I won't spoil it yet. I'm sure we'll talk about it when a certain um, bird is uh, unmasked and he even says. Well, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> yeah. I, I was wondering if he pulled it from that, but uh, yeah, I, I always like that one. All right, cool. But um, I think, Dane, even though you don't like multiple villain story team-ups, I think I know who your favorite villain is right now, and that's probably going to be the DC editorial team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, well, I guess we're segueing into our first big, Big piece of news. J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman have left DC Comics and Batwoman because... Uh, I, I, I can't even say it. I can't <laughs> even say it. You need to vent, Dane. Let it out. <laughs> You're in a safe place. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Screw it. I'll, I'll just... I'll just say it. If you've read the story, and I'm assuming that everybody's read the story about why they left and all that stuff, why not let your creators do whatever they want to do? I mean, if if you have a creator or creators with that strong of an, of an idea, that's so strong that they would leave the book because, because of that? I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. Please tell me if I'm missing something. But instead of letting them walk out as, you know, as those people's employer and publisher, why not say, hey, you know, let's sit down and talk about these things and let's see if we can find a middle ground at the very least, at the very, very, very least, because your word is final or because you're too prideful to the point where you don't even see your own stupidity. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this recently happened on this podcast, you know, Terrence had an idea that helped the podcast, but it really wasn't what I, I wanted to hear. And I lost my temper and I yelled at him. You know, <laughs> I, I, I came to my senses and, you know, I realized and apologized uh, to him. And, you know, I worked it out with him and we all came to mutual agreement to keep the podcast going. Even though there wasn't any money involved, I failed to see why DC couldn't work things out. And I feel like they've made a huge, huge mistake for letting them go. And, you know, again, to, to tell a creator that they can't do something in what's supposed to be a creative environment because it, it doesn't fit with what you'd like to do is 
it's almost a crime because, in my opinion, in this case, it doesn't seem like the creators are doing anything wrong or anything that would screw up the DC universe, which is already screwed up. I mean, DC and its writers kind of screwed up the, the Batman universe when they launched the New 52 to the point where the, the continuity is thrown completely out the window so that they can continue making books. So how is that right? And Williams and Blackman's Killer Croc origin is some big sin when, you know, prior to that, not only have you said, you know, to forgive the, the continuity hiccups, but... You know, your own writers have said the same exact thing. If the continuity or the overarching story is the problem, yet you kind of screwed all that up, then why the hell would you let two of your most talented writers, you know, walk away over it? I mean, sure, if if you held a gun to my head, I, I can forget about the Killer Cross story and whatever else they had planned. But what I can't and won't forget about is, you know, according to Williams, of course, is the fact that DC didn't want Kate and Maggie to get married, whether it's seeing them get married on page or, you know, the idea of it, it seems like. I mean, I know they put out that tweet that the whole reason wasn't, you know, because they didn't want Kate and Maggie to get married. I mean, I, I'm not gay. I don't have any immediate family members who are gay. So the question is... Why do I want to see this? It's because the character is so well-written that it's made me care about something to which I can only identify with by reading a comic book. Because one of my favorite comic characters and one of my favorite characters in any medium is gay, and I care about where the character is going. And, you know, that's kind of the, tr- the, the mark of a true writer or author, you know, obviously, to make you care about something that wasn't really on your radar. And, you know, I I don't really have an opinion on gay marriage, and this isn't, you know, as grand as standing up for the LGBT community. It's it's simply giving hardcore Batwoman fans what they want. And what I want to see is Kate and Maggie getting married. What's so complicated about that? I still don't see it, but... I think it's good on Williams and Blackman for for leaving DC rather than, you know, cop to DC's demands, which would you know, probably screw up the story and the characters. And I don't blame them. But in the same breath, I would say, you know, shame on DC for letting them go and sticking by their decisions because they're so damn prideful. This decision, you know, makes me want to not buy comics from DC. And I know everyone is saying, you know, the, the sort of obligatory, don't let this affect comics that you buy but i can't help but want want to drop all of my comics and perhaps you know maybe i'm being overly dramatic but what does this say about dc to me it says that rather than give us fans what we want when we want it they are more on the side of how about we don't do that you know and that kind of thinking leads me to to the conclusion that what's been lacking in the new 52 for me is a good solid story that it can stand on its own as a literary achievement. You know, it, it, it's being cut because DC would rather put out some dumbass penguin story that's been copied and pasted from another penguin story, which in turn was a copy and pasted story from yet another penguin story, and so on and so forth. So it says that to me that DC isn't willing to take a risk on something that could. It could be great and outside of the box and would be more willing. I'm sorry. I'm just so upset right now. (laughs) And they'd be more willing to put out, you know, some crappy Penguin story or your average Batman story that nobody will remember, you know. So that's why I'm angry. Well, I'm going to say I agree 100% with everything you said, Dane. I mean, I think there's two issues. And, uh, you know, I, I hope 
like you said, it wasn't that they didn't want to show the wedding because that is pretty lame. Um, I know this isn't a political show and we're not going to get in there. Just personally, I support gay marriage 100%. I don't have any immediate friends or anything or in that situation, but I realize that not everyone has that opinion of me and it's American. You can have your own opinion, but if these creators want to tell that story, they should be allowed to tell that story and if people want to buy it, they can buy it. And if they're against it, they cannot buy it. And if another creator wants to tell the exact opposite story and have a comic out that's, you know, against gay marriage, I think that creator has the right to do that and people can buy it and sell it um, and, and not buy it, you know, and make those choices and, and make their votes with their dollar. Um, but the other issue is just DC editorial just messing with their creators and just ruining things. Um, you know, we've seen that in Green Lantern. We've seen it with Action Comics. I mean, it just, it just seems like every month or every couple of weeks, another creator is leaving or doing something because they're conflicting with DC editorial. Um, and I wonder how much DC editorial cares about the books and how much they're just trying to make money and sell. And I know it's, it's a difficult business because it's art and it's commerce, but I feel like the editorial side of things is just, you know, I think they're just focused purely on the commerce. And I, you know, if it's about the gay marriage thing, that is so lame because, I mean, she is a gay character. It's not like they're, they're taking Wonder Woman and saying, we're going to turn Wonder Woman gay or we're going to turn Superman gay. I mean, it's a character or two characters because I've been a Maggie Sawyer fan since the 90s when she was in the Superman comics and when she was on the Superman animated series in a few episodes. So I've liked her for like 25 years now. Um, they're already established as gay. It's not like they're they're doing anything to the characters or, you know, turning Batman gay. So it just, I, if you can show them get engaged, you can show them in a relationship, but don't have a wedding. It just makes no sense to me. Um, so maybe, hopefully, it's not that, but it's still the, the bigger issue of DC editorial screwing things up and letting some of their most talented people. Um, leave and you know i don't know i I like dane i'm too upset to talk anymore someone else take over (laughs) (laughs) see the thing that gets me about this whole thing is that this all happens suddenly correct where dc just all of a sudden decide not to go through with this so they obviously had the story arc planned out and dc the editors there would have to know what they were planning and then they were okay with it then but now all of a sudden they decide what whatever they want to do with killer croc or the them getting married, that's not gonna, that's not the right fit now, so that's what makes me think, what, something had to change in their thinking, where all of a sudden now they don't want them to do their story that they had planned, when they had to know about it for a while, and now just all of a sudden they did, nope, you're not gonna be able to do that. That's what puzzles me about it. Yeah, I'm, go ahead, Joe. I'm just really embarrassed to be a DC fan at the moment, <laughs> hearing this, because I don't read any Marvel, I read a couple of image books but I normally get them in trade and stuff so DC is the they're the comics that I read as they come out you know I go every Saturday pick up my books and and read them and like hearing that I was just like wow because I mean after hearing their explanation I hope that's all it is I mean I, I kind of understand the Killer Croc thing, although I don't agree with it. But that's still an established character, and maybe they don't want the history, like, because the, they'll be messing with the past of the character. Yeah, but so it's maybe fifty-two. It, that's what makes it. It's not kind of. I, I, I know. Should and be able to like, do it. 
and that's what Scott Snyder's doing right now with Batman, their most popular character. Yeah. But, but maybe they just don't want him being messy. Maybe they don't want him being taken into some kind of magical kind of element, having that introduced to his character. Maybe, I, you know, I don't really agree with it, but I kind of understand. The wedding thing, I don't understand. I definitely don't agree with. But if they, they've said that it's because it can... Slow it stops the storyline because then like if they get married then what else is there and like whilst I don't agree with it I get why they done it because I mean New Fifty Two came and they got rid of the Flash was married they got rid of that uh, Superman and Lois were married they got rid of that so I kind of understand why they'd be like no you know they can be in a relationship but don't marry them so if that's all it is and it's just being blown up because it's like it being taken as a as a as a thing because of their sexuality and if it's being kind of blown out of proportion on on behalf of DC because of that then I you know like I understand why they could have done it I, like I said I don't really agree with it and I hope that's what it is I hope it's just them going like you know you can tell more stories with them not married and yeah I don't agree with it but I, I kind of at least can see that and I hope that's all it is, and it's not them being like, oh, no, we, do, we don't want them getting married. I'm I'm coming at this not having read a single Batwoman comic. So hearing, as you guys are talking about Killer Croc, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, I'm I'm one of those that uh, I don't have one, again, like Terrence, I'm not trying to make this a political thing, if that's what DC is or isn't trying to do. Um, I, I don't... I don't have to, I don't, how do I say that? That sounds stupid. If, if the character is gay, that's fine. If it's straight, it's fine. But to be purposely waving a flag, being, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's like, I don't, I don't need that. You don't have to make a big deal about it. Just be, be what you are, be who it is. And, and that's, and that's fine with me. I don't, I don't need the, the banner, you know, coming across so that that might have been something that may have put me off from the book um but if if that's if that's the story of the two characters and that's how they're created then fine i don't i don't have a problem with that and if uh, like joe said if dc is like you no know, people said you know well with Bruce having a son, it automatically makes Bruce older. So by removing the son quality, then Batman can seem younger. You know, if if we have them married in an established relationship, then then what's the next thing? Are we are you going to have to break them up? But if you always kind of have that unrequited love between two characters, or they just don't, it's kind of like when Peter Parker and Mary Jane get married. It's kind of like, oh, okay, well. So so now what? They've been dating and been the eye, in each, or the apple in each other's eye forever, and then thirty years they go, okay, we're finally going to marry him, and then it's like, oh, uh, all right, well now what? So I don't know if that's if it's just poor communication on both parts, or if Williams and Blackman were like, we're leaving, we're we're, we're going to leave, and DC's like, well, go then, and if it's you know calling each other's bluff, and both of them are going, well crap now what are we doing i'm assuming just because i'm not picking it up i'm assuming that the book is is still doing very good i hear you know great reviews on this podcast about i hear it on the batman universe podcast how good it is um i've listened to a couple other ones so i'm like i must be missing out something i'm not picking up the book you know maybe i should 
So, uh, yeah, I have mixed feelings because it's one of those that's like, it's not on my pull list. I wasn't reading it anyway, so it's not bothering me. But if that's kind of how DC's doing stuff, that's shady. Uh, like you said, I, I just hope it's, the lines got crossed somewhere in communication. It's a communication breakdown that, you know, the creators are saying, this is what we want to do. And DC's like, well, we can respect that, but, you know, you need to look at a, a bigger picture here. So I, maybe my comment really doesn't mean a whole lot because I'm not reading the books. I'm trying to not tell my own opinion too much. Well, I can just tell you real quick to address what you said. As someone who's been reading Batwoman from the start, um, I never once got the sense that it was trying to wave a banner or be like, hey, look at me, we have a lesbian. Or you know, It, it really was kind of a, a subtle kind of part of her character. And um, her whole relationship with Maggie and everything was like, these are two people who are falling in love and trying to make sense out of the fact that one's a superhero and one's a cop and all this stuff's going on. And the fact that they were gay and both women was not like kind of secondary. It wasn't like in your face. It was more just like, these are just two people in love trying to figure out where they fit in in Gotham city. Um, and, uh, J H Williams on the book. I mean, his art to me was kind of redefining what is a comic because the way he would lay out his panels and the way he would do things and show motion were just phenomenal. I mean, they just blew my mind each week. There was something I had never seen before in a comic, and I've read a lot of comics. But there was always every week, or every month, I should say, something different, some new way he laid out the panels, some image that was just phenomenal. And um, and there was a lot of stories running through that book, and there's all stuff with Kate's father and, and um, all different people. So um, it, it was really, really good. And... You know, I was hoping that after J.H. Williams got done with his Sandman uh, miniseries, he'd come back and, and do some more in Batwoman. Now I don't even think he'll come back to D.C., which just infuriates me. But, I mean, just to give an example of, like, how great it was, I mean, Neil Gaiman doing a Sandman comic, I mean, that's probably the most anticipated comic of, you know, the last few years. He could pick any artist and they'd sign up and his first choice was J.H. Williams. So, and J.H. Williams of course said yes. And I mean, that book will probably be phenomenal and, and sell for, that's one of those books that'll just sell for decades. People will buy it forever. Um, so, um, yeah, just like Dane, I'm, I'm just kind of speechless and whatever Marvel comic or whatever dark horse or whatever J.H. Williams does next, I'll buy, but cause his, his art is that phenomenal. But, yeah, it's, it, it was never like a, hey, look at us, we've got a lesbian, they're lesbians, and oh my god, it's so hard to be a lesbian. It was very subtle, and it was really just two people, just, you know, in a relationship, and you kind of even would forget sometimes that, oh yeah, this is, gay people, it's controversial, and some people don't like this. You just kind of were in the story and rooting for them, because you like both of them, so. I, I think I probably miscategorized that along with, uh, the Teen Titans say, hey, we have, you know, a gay person on the Teen Titans. And then the overexposure of uh, that a Green Lantern is going to be gay and then just touting it and touting it. I'm like, that that should not be the selling point of a book. The selling point of a book is we have a really good, like you said, it it should be subtle. It's, it shouldn't be the cause that this is, this book is about lions, you know, or this book's about fire trucks. 
if the story's good, I don't care if it's about a giraffe or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just kind of, when it's publicized about anything, it's like, let me make up my mind whether I like it or not. Don't tell me, you know, and that's, I don't want to get into a tangent, but I don't want to, I don't want to know solicitations before they come out. Don't tell me what's coming beforehand. I want to open it up and read it for the first time and find out like everybody should be finding out about everything. I don't need to know the whole plot synopsis before I pick it up. Then why am I picking it up? You know, let me be surprised to go, oh, this person's gay or wow, this person's straight or wow, this guy is five, four. I didn't know that, you know? So like sometimes I'll just get so mad about stuff. I'm like, you know what? I'm just not picking it up. I, I don't, if that's your whole point to sell the book, then I guess I don't need to read it because you've already told me about it. So maybe I misjudged Batwoman from the get-go. Yeah, I think it, it's never it's never been a a thing in in Batwoman. It's always been this is the character, and they don't even say it. Like you said, I mean, they kind of announce to the world like, all right, everyone pay attention to DC because coming up we got a a character we all know and love, and he's gonna love men. It's Alan Scott, everybody, and half the world was like, who? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I mean, the, the relationship in it as well, it's been really subtle and it's, it's been built up. It's not just like, oh, that woman's hot. I'm a woman. I love women. Let's get together. It's, it's kind of, as the series has gone on, it's, it's really progressed. And they had their, uh, proposal and it wasn't played up at all. And now maybe that's why I thought, I was like, oh, well done, DC. You're not trying to grab more. Uh, readers by going, alright, everyone check out this issue of Batwoman because they just proposed. Maybe it's because they don't want people to pay attention to it because later on they knew they were going to be like, yeah, but they can't get married. And maybe that's why. And, you know, I mean, that's the thing. They're already proposed. What's going to happen? Are they going to like, alright, well, Maggie's got to die now or something like that? I mean, I don't want that. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know what to do. I mean, I loved Batwoman issue 21, which was the issue that focused on Killer Croc. I thought that was a really, really strong issue. And, you know, if you don't get the Killer Croc storyline, then that's a shame. It would That would have been the sort of thing, if you, if they thought, oh, no, we don't really want that in in the series, then do it as a mini-series, because that would that's the sort of thing where you could kind of go, yeah, it's in continuity, but you don't have to read it if you don't want it, and it doesn't matter. And I think that would have been the best place for that. But this marriage thing, I mean, I don't... They had to change how their storyline goes, and I... Batwoman... Because I have to get all the books for the comic podcast, half of them are crap. So, as soon as we're not, we stop covering one, I drop it, because I don't have to spend money on it. Batwoman was one that I've carried on reading, and after hearing this, I'm genuinely not sure if I'm going to carry on now, because I want to show my support for J.H. Williams and... and uh, William Hayden Blackman or W. Hayden Blackman I'm not sure what his first name is but uh, I want to show my support for them but then the storyline's changed so it's not even what they want to put out so I don't know if I'm going to carry on and, and then drop it when they're done or if I'm just going to drop it and go like you know what, I don't care what happens next because it's not what they wanted so I'm, I'm really going to have to think about what to do next I mean to be fair like I said, DC put out that tweet that said that whole gay marriage thing wasn't the reason why uh, G.H. Williams and W. Hayden Blackman left. But isn't it kind of like guilt by association kind of thing? I mean, there's supposed to be a, a blog post on G.H. Williams' blog, and there's a link to it on the TV website yeah. on the post, but I can't actually get onto it. It's almost as if the website's been shut down. And I'm yeah, not sure, like maybe it's crashed. Oh, okay. Yeah, it crashed. But I guess to wrap this up, I'll just say that Batwoman was the one book ever since 
New 52 launched, or even before that, you know, it was the one book I waited for, waited and waited and waited after all, all of those delays to read. And once I could read it, it was the one book that I couldn't wait to read every month. I'm just so sad it won't be it, it won't be the same after issue number 26 if they decide to keep it going. And I ho- kind of hope they don't because you know, so, some writers are just going to take it over and possibly ruin it. I mean, thinking about Anna Senti and Catwoman, you know, that was bad to worse, you know. So <laughs> yeah, how, I'm going to miss it is all I'll say. <laughs> I, I do have a question. It, had this just been leave all this stuff out of it, what if they just would have said, hey, we're done, it's been a great run, uh, we've done what we wanted to do, how would you have felt with a new creative team, kind of like what happened in Green Lantern. Jeff Johns leaves the people like, I'm not reading another Green Lantern book. and I don't even know who this jerk is. He's going to ruin years of what, you know, would you be more willing to continue on if it was a new writer just because it's a new writer and art team? Or would you still have the same? I mean, granted, I know it's different circumstances, but I guess I'm trying to ask a I don't even know what I'm trying to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think I know what you're trying to ask. You're trying to ask if um, they, they replace uh, the two writers and put a new creative team on it. If I'll buy it, I, I guess kind of, sort of, yeah, yeah. No, no, probably not. Because it it would kind of it. It'd be a slap in the face. Kinda, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, and and not only that, that that creative team was so good. You know, telling long, 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 complex stories that I don't think they can be replaced. And like Terrence said, I don't think J.H. Williams can be replaced on that book either. I mean, to me, it would be like comparing, I don't know, uh, Derek and Ruth with, I don't know, some random two guys, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I had heard people say that once that, you know, he was off the book, that that the book should just be canceled to be done with, that nobody's going to be able to fill those shoes. There'd be some massive shoes to fill. And I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do hope, though, that DC haven't burned their bridges with J.H. Williams, because, like you said, his art is so fantastic that I, I want to continue seeing it in the DC universe. But if he has to go somewhere else, then I'll follow him there. If you're if you're a DC Comics writer and your name's not Jeff Johns, you got to be kind of worried that whatever creative idea you had planned, even if you say it to DC and they approve it, you just got to kind of have that in the back of your head now. This has happened quite a few times that creative differences that DC won't go through with it and then they end up leaving the books. I wonder if any writers right now are on edge or any other like big time writers are kind of maybe scared to go to DC if they're at Marvel or some other company just because of all these editorial decisions that's making these creative teams leave. I think that in itself is DC's doing a bad job just in their image by having all these writers and creative artists, creative teams just bailing out on their projects. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Tim, because I, I just sent you guys a link to uh, some website called geeksofdoom.com, and they have um, Williams and Blackman's post. And before the post, they mention some of this uh, writers leaving because of the very same reason, DC editorial interference, Andy Diggle on Action Comics, Justin Jordan on Superboy, Joshua Hale Favlakov, leaving Green Lantern Corps, and uh, now Batwoman. And the their post is, is pretty long. It's about six paragraphs here. But just real quickly, what they write, um, Hayden and, um, I mean, Williams and um, 
Blackman here says, unfortunately, in recent months, DC has asked us to alter or completely discard many longstanding storylines in ways that we feel compromise the character and the series. We were told to ditch plans for Killer Croc's origins, forced to drastically alter the original ending of our current arc, which would have defined Batwoman's heroic future in bold new ways, and most crushingly prohibited from ever showing Kate and Maggie's actual actually getting married. All of these editorial decisions came at the last minute and always after a year or more of planning and plotting on our end. So, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty pretty specific. Of And the article, um, Geeks of Doom mentioned how Batwoman has not been part of, like, Court of Owls and the Death of the Family storyline. And you know the editors would have loved to have, you know, them as part of it just for that sales boost and just to have that special die cut cover with fat woman's face on it and i always admired how they just stayed out of it and did their own thing uh but i guess that I admiration think part of that though, so yeah. i think part of that was the fact that like dane mentioned it's been in the works for years this series and it kept getting delayed and they had like two zero issues because there was one before the new 52 and they're like oh this is going to start in April 2011, then it never did. So I think they had this kind of whole arc planned out before. So maybe that I think that's why they didn't really have room for it to tie in because they kind of, they were just chugging along with their own story. But I, I agree they kind of the way they kept it themselves. I mean, it was a pro and a con. It would have been nice to see more interaction with the actual Batman universe. But then we're kind of getting that in this latest arc. But I guess that's all we're going to get. Oh well. I'm still pissed, no matter what anybody <laughs> says, no matter what DC says, no matter what J.H. Williams and Blackman say, I'm still going to be pissed, because this was something completely new, something completely different, that could never be replaced. Also, I do appreciate Williams coming and actually saying that, because there have been several people who have been dropped from DC or have left and never actually said why, so I, I appreciate that he said, yeah, this is, this is actually what happened. Yeah, right. But... I have to say, Batwoman number zero, the, the the new 52 one, is the best issue of the new 52, in my opinion. And one of the best issues I've read in my entire life. So, let's just leave it at that. Let's leave it at a good thought instead of, you know, me crying on the other end. <laughs> um, but, moving on to some happier news, I guess. Uh... The Batman versus Superman, or Superman versus Batman, or Batman Superman, or Superman Batman, or the Man of Steel sequel, or Man of Steel two. Bat will of be Steel. <laughs> They're going to be filming in uh, the city of Detroit. It is less than a hundred miles. It is exactly, I think, fifty-five miles from me. So almost an hour. So uh, three or four of my friends were already talking about we're going. We're gonna get pictures of something. We're we're we're, we're gonna go there. So uh, I don't know what we expect. Or we think we're gonna see, but to be you know that close and also being a Tigers fan um, and kind of just being in and around the city, it'd be kind of cool to see some landmark. Maybe say you know Wayne Industries or you know this that or the other. So um, we'd be very excited. You're gonna be the first one to post some spy photos. Already. Oh yeah, <laughs> courtesy of the. Courtesy of the Bat Fans Without Pants podcast. <laughs> yeah, and our listener, Alex, I think he said that his dad is going to work on the film, I believe, because he is from the Detroit, Michigan area. So um, maybe we'll get some reports from him. The thing I found curious about this, though, is that 
just the how much Gotham are they going to plan to be in the story? Because for me, I always thought and even kind of wanted that the majority of the film take place in Metropolis. So I'm just curious to see how much Gotham is actually going to be in the movie now, now that they have actual shooting location for it in Detroit. So that's what's got me curious about it. Yeah, it's weird how Metropolis and um, or or Detroit is going to stand in for Metropolis and Gotham. Did they I mean, say that? I thought it was just Gotham. Or, no, I, I think they said it was supposed to be for both. That could be a little strange. Then. <laughs> yeah. So like, how, how is that going to work? I mean, I mean, if that's true, I mean, how, how is that going to going to work? Because I mean, it's like two different, I mean, completely different looking cities, right? Yeah, which I hope they would make it drastically different than Metropolis. Yeah. And there, there is always a lot of construction in Detroit. So if I mean, it's constantly under construction. So if they could kind of use just some normal construction stuff as like, hey, look, we're building, rebuilding Metropolis. So maybe it it could work on that type of level, I guess. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. But that's, if, if I read that right, they're starting in the early part of 2014. So you're talking end of January, February, March, probably, which... In Detroit, that time of year, there's there could be some significant snow on the ground, so this could put the movie in a winter type scene, also. Or a Mr. Freeze, Arnold Schwarzenegger cameo. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you figured it all out, Terrence. That's why they're going to Detroit. <laughs> exactly. Well, movie magic, they can do anything. Because Green Lantern, they filmed that in New Orleans and Louisiana and made it look like Coast City, California, yeah. somewhat. So, and and they might just do a lot of interior stuff. Maybe they'll just build a set somewhere and that'll be, you know, uh, the Daily Planet or Clark's apartment or um, the Joker's hangout because I'm still hoping for the Joker in it. <laughs> I still, I'm still hoping that they keep it an actual Superman film. And I think everyone's getting yeah. way too overexcited about this whole Ben Affleck thing. But yeah, it's happening regardless. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I, I can't believe there's so much hate. It's insane. I mean, no, you're not going to be able to change it by doing a petition, but it's just like, yeah. the poor guy. I, I know he's like, he's rolling in money and stuff, and he just probably doesn't care, but I'm like, oh, you, you poor thing. Yeah. That's still it's, the stupidest thing to me. Yes, you could, anyone can say whatever they want on a website or Twitter and all that stuff, but the fact they're getting a petition going just yeah. <laughs> irritates me so much. I really hope he does well and turns it around. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I always wanted to do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm listening to uh, Fat Man on Batman, the most recent uh, podcast that he does, where he's just talking about why he thinks, you know, uh, Ben's going to be a great fit for the role, but also pointing out that the he's like, he was wondering what the, if the internet was around back in 89, the, you know, crap storm that Michael Keaton probably would have taken. Uh, you know, not a serious actor. He's only done one clean and sober and this, that, and the other that people are just flying off the handle and those very same people saw the movie three, four, and five times. They're like, oh, I thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. (laughs) No, you didn't. You know, you took out a... People were taking out full-page ads in, you know, the New York Times saying this is, you know, a huge, complete waste that whatever chance that DC is going to do to try and uh, do a Batman franchise is going to crash around the heels of Michael Keaton. And that movie went on to make, you know, so much money. Can I just make an admission? 
You started the petition. I... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you know that scene in '89 when um, when uh, Bruce acts all crazy and he uh, want to get not get uh, Joe... Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That scene. I do, do not like that scene. <laughs> Almost to the point where I always fast forward through it because I don't know. It, it just feels like Michael Keaton is overplaying it like way too much like way way too much i know he's supposed to overplay it in that scene but i, I felt like he's trying way way too hard i agree 100 percent. and my thing on that is how do you know the joker's going to shoot you in the chest he could shoot you right in the face you know <laughs> <laughs> he's batman he knows it. yeah <laughs> it was a gamble but he had to take it <laughs> Yeah, that that scene always kind of bothered me too. I like the lead up to him, like what he's doing, you know. Like once he grabs the poker and starts swinging around, I was thinking, dude, he's gonna pop you right in the jaw with that gun. <laughs> yeah, but the Joker's line afterwards is, I think, what makes that scene where he says the famous line, "Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight?" And like he's all, "What?" Like, oh, yeah, it's nothing. I just liked the sound of it, and then he just shoots him. Hey, uh, to to do our uh, complete tangent for baseball i got the uh oakland houston game on right now and behind the no, catcher no, don't, 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 don't say anything <laughs> right, i won't say anything or, i won't say anything uh, about the game okay. but behind the catcher they've got a big advertisement for uh they took it off september 6th or 10th or something star wars firework night do you know what is that all yeah, yeah september of, 20th star wars fireworks a lot of stadiums have been doing that this year actually <laughs> Uh, do they just yeah. do fireworks to Star Wars music, or do they do some? Like, they have other... like a lot of like characters, like Stormtrooper costumes, Darth Vader costumes. Like it's, they kind of make it an event thing where you know, like, fans can take pictures with so people in the costumes and all that stuff. Oh, that's pretty cool. I might have to fly out to Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, is that all the news we had? Uh, the, only, we have the only other thing about uh, the Batman Superman movie is that um, the rumor there's a casting call of Bruce Wayne having a love interest in the film. Which, to me, I was actually kind of surprised by because I thought they might have done the whole, uh, like, he's going to try to pursue Lois Lane and they're going to have that, like, that love triangle thing and Clark's going to be jealous. So if it is true and the fact that Bruce Wayne is going to have a love interest, I'm just curious if it's going to be something new or if they're going to go to one of those other comic love interests that we haven't seen before. They're going to try to bring Vicki Vale back to have, like, the counter Lois Lane as, like, a reporter or a photographer. So this kind of took me by surprise. I just thought they was going to have Lois Lane kind of He's a somewhat love interest for him. Yeah, and it shows that A, Bruce likes him young, <laughs> at least two decades away. Um, and he's not a racist, so that's always good, right? His love interest should be Clark's mom, because she's still pretty hot and about the same age. You now, it's Ben Affleck's in his 40s. <laughs> Diane Lane, who's, uh, what is her name? Is it Diane? Yeah, yeah it's Diane Lane. Diane Lane, yeah, she's got to be probably late 40s, maybe, so. That would be a strange twist. If that <laughs> it's like something that you'd never expect, you, you would never expect. You know, in, in those superhero movies and stuff, and they always have the heroes fight first, then they become friends, you're always like, oh, you know, I just like roll my eyes, like, come on, why are they doing that? But, like, if Bruce just slept with, like, Clark's mom, I could believe them fighting after that. Like, she did, why would my mom? And then tear Metropolis up. I could, I could see that. <laughs> I think it's a pretty short movie because Clark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. With you one got... spare Superman would need to Batman. <laughs> if you fans are ticked because I snapped uh, Zod's neck, wait till you see what I do to Batman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just kills all of his sidekicks. I just got his new. <laughs> yeah. 
Why wouldn't any of my Robins live? <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the whole point of the movie, Superman going, all the different Robins, taking him out and dying as a single fight of the stop. <laughs> you did Grace and your parents fell from a trapeze. I cut their rope. Keep <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. vision. <laughs> I quite like the idea. Um, oh, go ahead. Um, I, think, I quite like the idea of, uh, of uh, Vicky Vale and kind of having like her and... Lois Lane having some kind of feud where it's like, oh, you just work in a gossip magazine or something like that, and, and kind of playing that up. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really surprise me that he'd have a love interest because he kind of has one in every film. But um, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. Either way, I mean, it would be interesting if it's someone that we recognise, but and maybe that will like play into a, a bigger storyline later on. But either way, I'm, I'm not particularly fussed either way. I was the same way seeing the news. I'm like, oh, the new Batman news. Like, oh, love interest. Yawn, you know. It's Bruce Wayne. He's a billionaire. Of course, he's probably going to be flirting with some girl. And uh, to me, that was kind of a given. But to, you know, make the story like he, where he's going to have a love interest. Like, it's Bruce Wayne. He, he's going to have a love interest. That's that's who Bruce Wayne is. So, I, to me, it's like making a mountain out of a molehill. I'm, it's kind of one of those that it could be, you know... <laughs> Susie Q is Bruce Wayne's girlfriend, and she's got, you know, four or five seconds of dialogue, and that's about it. It's like, oh, I guess the story's blown out of proportion, so it's kind of one of those until they, I forget who said it, wait till we see who who is cast, if it's somebody that we know and recognize, maybe that'll mean more screen time, but until an actress's name is put on it right now, it's just kind of like it's, you know, we gotta have we have some news to talk about the Batman and Superman movie. We haven't done anything in a while. Uh, okay, love interest. That that's kind of how I took the news. So, so what actress do we know of that's tall and is really physical? Charlize Theron. That would be a good choice. And, and in her late twenties. Sorry, I yeah. forgot that part. She's in her late twenties. Uh no, she's probably mid thirties. Yeah, she could be in her. 40s. I don't know how old she is. But, um, you know, I was thinking, uh, before The Dark Knight Rises came out, Tim and I made two preposterous predictions about the movie. And it turns out we were right about it, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One was Bane was going to be a girl, which he kind of was, because everybody thought that that girl was, <laughs> was, was Bane. Um, the second one was that Batman was going to fly the bat into the sunset and explode. So <laughs> we were kind of, yeah, so he would die. So we were kind of right in both respects. Um, so, Tim, did you have any preposterous predictions of all Batman's Superman? Oh, uh, I think you can't get more preposterous than what uh, Terrence said about <laughs> Clark being involved or Bruce being involved with Clark's mom. <laughs> 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 if that happens, oh man. <laughs> what, what if uh, at the end of the film, uh, Superman learns to trust Batman enough that he gives him the kryptonite ring and then Batman accepts his proposal and they get married <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> DC's okay with that but not that one <laughs> so that's our two predictions hopefully they'll come true and uh, I guess we can move on to our next section which is um, what's next in a conversation with Alex oh okay let's do that parents do it all right, so Alex sent us um, a couple emails this week. I was emailing him back and forth a little bit, but his main um, uh, email, which I liked a bit, 
What was that? Oh, there it is. He says, hey, guys, last episode was my absolute favorite. It was so darn funny. Your plan to take down the Batman universe was the highlight of the week, which was sorely needed, especially with the news of Ben Affleck being Batman. I, I'm just kidding. After looking at the comments on this episode, I'm looking forward to hearing the new plan because it seems Dustin is not messing around. And, yes, we had some comments from Dustin on the website. I guess he's... Uh, not going to uh, just surrender. He's ready for us, but I think we're ready for that. Don't worry. Yeah, I, I've, I've got a plan. Don't worry about it. All right. <laughs> I've got a good plan. Um, he says, I wasn't the biggest fan of Trinity War. It was good, but I'm just really sick of seeing heroes fighting. I love DC because the heroes inspire me to be a better person. However, Forever Evil and Villains Month is looking to be awesome. I can't wait for the Bane issue. I think the Two-Face issue is my favorite so far. I really enjoyed most of the issues except for the ventriloquist. I'm done with Gail Simone. I hated it. For those who liked it, I'm happy for you, but if you skipped it, I mean, if you skipped out, avoid. So I'm sure we'll talk about those in the uh, comic review section, but I'm in complete agreement on the <laughs> ventriloquist issue. Um, what villains are you looking forward to most for Villains Month? Um, and I say I was looking forward most to the Joker story, uh, which kind of disappointed, but we'll talk about that. So you guys, which villain month book are you most looking forward to? I was right there with you with the Joker, and you'll find out when we talk about it. I'm probably on the same page as you, Terrence, so. but... After Joker, I'm going to go with Clayface. Uh, I'll go. I, I'm i kind of anticipating Ra's al Ghul. Uh, part of me is hoping that we may get a little bit more of the end of Batman Incorporated for, I guess, not for some reason. Um, I don't think it's ever probably meant to be continued, but uh, kind of curious how Ra's may play in Forever Evil. So that's that's kind of got my curiosity. Um, I would love there to have been a black mask, but sadly there's not. But So I'm going with Ra's. I uh, was looking forward to the Joker one, but after hearing your comments just now... <laughs> um, I'm a bit nervous. Uh, I'm quite looking forward to the Harley Quinn one, mostly because it's written by Matt Kent, who I think is a pretty good writer. Um, outside of Batman, I'm actually looking forward to the Swamp Thing and the Green Arrow uh, times. They're, they're only doing one issue apiece, and, and they're written by their series writers, so they're going to be pretty consistent with the quality of the actual series. So I, I reckon they're going to be pretty good. Yeah, for me, I was actually looking forward to the Ventriloquist one, because I felt that, um, what's her name, Shauna? Oh, I forget. <laughs> I think yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think it's Shauna, yeah. I think you're right, yeah. Um, I felt that she was an interesting character until I looked who wrote it. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it didn't work out, but I guess we'll talk about it when we review the comics. And yeah, I'll say on, on the non-Batman uh, ones, I'm kind of looking forward to the Superman ones, especially Doomsday. Um, and uh, Cyborg Superman, just because I haven't been reading, reading Superman, so I don't know what is um, carried over from the new 52 uh, or from the old 52 or whatever. So I'm kind of interested to see what's what with those those ones. Um, so he asks an unrelated question. He says, how do you guys feel about getting things signed? Unless a friend or family member got it for me, I don't care too much to get one. If I got to meet the person and thank them, that's good enough for me. And, yeah, I'm not a big autographed person. Um, I think it's something – I think it's okay for kids kind of to ask for an autograph. I think it's something weird for a grown man asking another grown man to, like, get his autograph. And a, a couple of years ago, because um, I live here in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, the uh, Tampa Bay Rays 
played an exhibition game against the Durham Bulls. And uh, I went with my family, and we had actually front row seats because it's minor league. It costs like six bucks a ticket or something ridiculous. And uh, there were these people standing in front of us, and they were grown men, and they were like screaming for Evan Longoria's autograph. And they like had like their be- baseball and their pen, and they're like Evan, Evan. And it just seemed so <laughs> pathetic that these grown men were like <laughs> just begging for this other man's autograph. It just yeah, so yeah, I'm not a big autograph person um, per se. I'd rather just meet the person and shake their hand and tell them I like their work or or admire them for for something. But um, you know, you guys, what do you think about autographs? Wow, I'm on the complete opposite side of the spectrum with you. <laughs> yeah, I just <laughs> uh, insulted you. I apologize. Yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm looking at uh, autographed drum heads from the Kiss drummer, uh, Eric Singer, that I have got autographed. Uh, my snare drum, uh, that's his signature snare drum. I met him at a convention, so I stood in line for two and a half hours. And it's not one of those that, you know, I've been to ball games and, would like, oh, I'd like to get Lou Whitaker's autograph from the Tigers back in back in the day. But I never would have been the type that would have been like, Lou, Lou, over here, me. Uh, to me, that's just kind of, if I'd have bumped into him, I said, man, you had a great game. Would you sign my ball card? Um, to me, it's just kind of, uh, I'm going to the uh, Columbus uh, Comic Convention here coming up at the end of the month. And I'm going to take my uh, Superman or Batman Superman issue one and hopefully get uh, Patrick Gleason to hopefully draw maybe Damien on the front of it and get his autograph. I wish I had uh, a blank a sketch cover um, just to be able to say, hey, you know, I love the run on Batman and Robin. And uh, it would be kind of cool to just to get his autograph just to kind of mark that, not be, you know, overly gushing and be like, oh, I love you, man. It's awesome. This work has changed my life. But just to be like, you know, I, I dig what you're doing. It's cool. And I'd, I'd be honored if you would, you know, just sign my comic or something like that. Um, I like little keepsakes like that. And um, I always kind of looked at it to be like, you know, to have something special, go, oh, this is autographed. Like, oh, wow, you know, did you meet him? And you kind of have that, you know, story to share with somebody that, you know, uh, I bumped into him somewhere or, you know, I, I stood in line for two and a half hours and got to, you know, meet somebody I, you know, looked up to. And it just for me being a huge Kiss fan and uh, kind of inspired me to play drums to that I own his personal snare drum and I had him sign it and it was on my birthday and he signed the inside of the shell says, you know, to Rob Myers, you know, happy birthday. I thought that was just, it was really cool. And that's something that I won't ever part with. So as big as a Batman fan I am, I don't have anything Batman signed. So this is hopefully an opportunity and uh, two weeks to maybe get something Batman oriented signed. So I'm, I'm all for it, but not to be in the place where, you know, you're at a restaurant and like, sir, can I have your autograph? Can I have your autograph? And it's like, you know, Hey, I'm not working now. I'm here with my family, but I don't, I don't think it's out of the expectation to, if you're a celebrity, whatever the range of celebrity is to have somebody come up, be it, you know, a four year old kid or, you know, a, an almost 40 year old <laughs> kid uh, wanting to get something signed. So, I'm I'm cool with it as long as people are, are respectful and you know don't you know, expect too much out of somebody. Yeah, I think it's cool if you can get an autograph, but for me personally, it's not just meeting the person and like telling them like thanks or how you feel about their work or whatever is is good enough. Just getting the chance to meet them, maybe getting a photo. I'd rather have a photo than an autograph. Same here. But it's it's not somewhere I think oh 
I would never ask for an autograph or people who ask for autographs or they shouldn't or I'm dying to get an autograph. I'm not on the extreme either way. It's kind of, if it's, you can't get one, cool. If not, no big deal. I got to meet the person and that's all that really matters to me. So kind of in the middle, I guess. I have a few signed comics just from going to a couple of comic cons, that sort of thing. Um, so I've got like a signed uh, Swamp Thing and Batman Number 1 by Scott Snyder, stuff like that, which, you know, I know it actually devalues the book because it's not authenticated, but I'm never going to sell it anyway, so, yeah. you know, there's no point. And it's just, you know, I, I met him, and he was obviously a nice guy. I got to interview him, actually. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't go in for photos. I hate photos. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of have to have that. But, uh, yeah, I, outside of that, I mean, it, I wouldn't, if I saw someone, I wouldn't ask for just like an uh, autograph on like a scrap of paper or something. It's when I have that that book and I can take it in. Uh, I actually got my copy of uh, Batman: uh, The Black Glove signed by J.H. Williams when he was in uh, my local comic shop, which was pretty cool. And got to say, I can't wait for Batwoman, and then that came out two years afterwards. <laughs> um, and there's that great joke where it's like a, there are more copies of Watchmen unsigned by. Dave Gibbons and there are signs so I have one of those but uh, yeah I, yeah, I, I'm not huge about autographs and stuff but I have you know the books which I have signed I, I, I'm happy with I actually I'm 99% sure I was sitting next to Bill Nye the actor the other day um, in the train station and I was sitting there reading a comic actually and then I kind of got off because it was my train looked over and I swear it was him and he, looked, he made eye contact and just like I mean he's a terrifying man and uh, just kind of we started staring each other out. I was like, "Is that you? I think that's you." And he kind of looked at me with this kind of like perplexed stare, and I got freaked out. And I was like, "I think that's you." And you'll never know. <laughs> yeah, the only thing. Um, well, I used to have two comics signed, uh, both by Alan Moore. Uh, one was the um, I got as a Christmas present from my girlfriend. Uh, was the the From Hell the collector's edition? Uh, it was signed by him and uh, the artist Eddie Campbell, and it was numbered. Uh, so of course I didn't sell that one because I guess it kind of has some sentimental value to it. And the other one was like uh, Joe was saying, Watchmen, uh, signed by Dave Gibbons and um, Alan Moore. But I sold that one because I was like, why did I? buy this <laughs> I don't know it was it was weird and I, yeah I don't really collect autographs or anything like that the only autograph I ever stood in line for was Pete Rose's but that's a funny story that maybe I'll tell off the air <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've got some autographs at conventions like uh, stuff but to me it was always just sort of like just the excuse to meet the person like when I got up to meet meet them, I really didn't care if they signed it or not. So much as just that was just the the way to just stand in line and get to, you know spend a minute or two talking to them. Um, okay, so Alex asks us, what is your favorite superhero weapon? Mine is Captain America's shield, and so I sent him a, a follow up email because I was thinking the Batmobile. I said, well, do you consider the Batmobile a, a weapon? And he kind of said you could go either way with it if you want um, on that. Uh, but for me, I always like the weapons that are kind of simple. So I like like the Batarang, maybe Wolverine's claws, Catania's she- um, sword. 
I kind of hate the weapon that does everything. So if they have a magic, you know, like necklace that does everything, or I love Doctor Who, but his sonic screwdriver just does everything. Like every situation, just point the screwdriver, and or uh, Mister Terrific's T spheres do do everything. That that kind of just annoys me. I like it simple, and so I'm going to go with a batarang. But how about you guys? What is your favorite superhero weapon? Does it have to be superheroes? Because can you count oh. Jedi? <laughs> <laughs> well, a Jedi is kind of a superhero, so yes. Well, to me, the lightsaber is always going to be the ultimate weapon. But just going strictly with uh, comic book superheroes, I definitely have to go with the Green Lantern ring. I mean, it kind of goes against what you were saying, Terrence, <laughs> the weapon that could do everything. But it's just so darn cool to have that. <laughs> I think that's going to be the ultimate weapon in comics. Well, no, I actually don't consider that a weapon that does everything because that does something specific. It makes constructs, so you can make constructs with it. I'm talking about just like where, I don't know, just every week it does something different or just, hey, just point it here and it works. So I, I would definitely say the, the the Green Lantern Ring is awesome, and I would not consider it one of those weapons that, you know, every every issue it has a different feature. You know, it's pretty simple. And it has a weakness, so... Used to, though. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, used to. Uh, for me, um, I always liked uh, that Tim had his bow staff. I uh, thought, well, Robin has, it's just not a batarang. Um, and I'm not sure when Night Ring, Night Ring, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the Night Ring. You know, it's bright and sunny out, and you're like, you know what, <laughs> the sun's too bright. Uh, Night Ring, I want it dark. Um <laughs> Uh, when Nightwing got his Screamisticks, I never know how to pronounce that. Um, I actually like that more than Tim Staff, and I actually like it more than uh, Batman's Batarangs. Uh, it's it's something unique to uh, Dick that, uh, other than it's, you know, it could be like a Billy Club or something like that. In Arkham City, they gave it the ability to shock. Um, and I think um, Kyle Higgins brought that into... Um, the Night of the Owls a little bit, that little Arkham City feel to it. So I, I'm going to go with those, and I always liked it that he had them on his back as if they were swords, and I think now he's got them down kind of like in his boots or something like that. So I'm going to go with the Escrima sticks. I think, yeah, Green Lantern Rings probably the best. I mean, if you could have any, I, I think I'd definitely go for the Green Lantern Ring. Although just for the concept, I think Wonder Woman's Lasso of Truth is a pretty cool yeah, that's a good thing one. as well. Yeah. That would definitely come in useful. <laughs> um, Plastic Man's body. <laughs> <laughs> that's we a weapon, have right? <laughs> a Plastic Man sighting, yes, for the podcast. Yeah, that's, that is definitely good. Uh, yeah, the, the Green Lantern Ring is awesome. I actually remember the very first time I saw the Green Lantern Ring was on uh, a little kid, and it was on the Super Friends show and he made a jeep with it and i was like holy cow you could just make your own car with that thing and i've been hooked ever since but yeah that that wow moment um so that was alex's email so thank you alex and hopefully we'll get some uh, more emails from alex and some of our other listeners um and let us know what you think of the podcast. Uh, yeah, this one is going to be from a post on our Facebook page. This is actually from Terrence's wife. It says, uh, what villain would each of you pair up with? 
It says, uh, also, do you consider Catwoman a villain? And uh, I guess this part is to uh, Terrence. says, I hope my husband does not choose Catwoman. I might be jealous. So (laughs) what uh, villain would you team up with? And do you consider uh, Catwoman a villain or a hero? I guess I'll go first because I she she asked us what our she asked me what our uh, topic was and when I said the the team ups that's where she came up with that so um, I do consider Catwoman a villain or I like her better as a villain although it I, it depends on what story you're reading and how she's written um, but I won't pick Catwoman to team up with I'll make my wife even more jealous I'm gonna pick White Rabbit from uh, <laughs> Dark Knight series. <laughs> So I don't know how much work I'll get done, but I'll probably enjoy the view. So I'm going to go with White Rabbit. <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> well, first off, for Catwoman, I think she's in the middle. I don't consider her a true villain. I mean, she can be in certain stories, and in certain stories she can't. So she, I think she's more of the anti-hero type, which I kind of like more than just having her be a straight-up villain. When written well, can make for some good stories. But So a villain I'd be paired up with... I want to say Harley, but I think I'd be killed in the end afterward. (laughs) Yeah. But what a way to go, so I'll just go Harley. Yeah. Will she call you Mr. T? (laughs) (laughs) What what costume would you wear? An animated series, or are you more of an Arkham fan? Uh, it's hard not to pick the animated series one. This is so classic. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, I would like to say somebody like a Black Mask or a Joker, but I don't want shot or killed if I do, if I do something wrong. So I'd, w- I'd want to hang out with somebody that'd be a little fun. But I, I think Deathstroke would be kind of cool. I think he can kind of he skirts a little bit to you know hero villain. He's more villain. But I think Deathstroke would be cool just to kind of actually see him fight or something like that and be like, yeah, don't mess with my friend. Go ahead and do it, buddy. So uh, I I think uh, Catwoman more of as a villain. I think she's played – I like it when she's kind of dancing in the in between a little bit more where, you know, she's still playing the villain part. You know, she's – if she's doing like her environmental thing or somebody's mistreating of animals, she'll, she would have no problem br- blowing up the building of the people that are trying to, you know, me, be mean or cruel to villains or villains to uh, animals or, you know, that type of motif. So I think she works best there. And I still think she's uh, not the right fit for the Justice League of America because I keep, you know, looking at it going, you know, at what point is she going to turn? So maybe that's the whole point of her being there. So. Yeah, I like your choice of Deathstroke, and I've just been catching up on the series Arrow. I've I've I got about six more to go for the season, and the Slade Wilson character on that show is really cool. I like yeah. how they they've done him on that show. I didn't like Arrow when it first started. I think I even bad mouthed it on the podcast. Yeah, I was going to say well, why. Just yeah, so <laughs> after about once they started, they did the Huntress episodes. It got really good. I'm really enjoying it now. So I feel, I still am not a huge fan of the first couple episodes, but it, it definitely I've I've really liked it since then. I uh, I I can go either way with Catwoman. I really enjoy the stories when she's like a proper villain. That's why I love things like uh, Batman: Brave and the Bold, the the cartoon series, where she's like a super villainess and she's you know putting Batman in death traps. Yeah. Those stories are really fun. <laughs> And they still get married in that uh, series. <laughs> <laughs> but I think those stories are really fun. Um, otherwise, I don't think... She, like, nowadays, I don't think she should be played as a super villain. 
because, you know, she doesn't really put it on harm's way, but if she's just going about her business, stealing stuff, then that's kind of fine, you know, not going out of her way to hurt anyone, then uh, I, I can accept her being played that way. And then, you know, you get... I don't really enjoy Batman's relationship with her, with, with her so much, but it kind of makes more sense when she's played like that, when she kind of just does her own thing. She doesn't really care about the law, but she never goes out of her way to hurt anyone. Um, as for villain team up I mean I'm in no way villainous so <laughs> I would choose Poison Ivy because not only would like you know I wouldn't have to do any crime or anything and if that's what she wanted to do that's fine I'd just follow and, and watch and then if I did get captured by the police I'd be like oh no it wasn't me she used her last <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah you might not even know you're teamed up with her <laughs> yeah you might be doing stuff you don't want to do, but okay, Ivy. <laughs> I don't think there's anything I wouldn't want to do with her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and White Rabbit is actually on the cover of Forever Evil Number One, <laughs> which is only because they just pinched through it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Never noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> He's the only one going like, "Come on, don't you remember her?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, my villain is uh, Plastic Man's Joker, whoever that is. <laughs> Um, I think he or she would be really good to be teamed up with. <laughs> it's gonna be Rubber Man or Rubber Girl or something. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you figure Plastic Man is like stretchy and stuff, so it it would have to be somebody that couldn't stretch, I guess. The so antithesis of Plastic Man. Yeah. <laughs> so every single person. <laughs> Something's completely like a paralyzed person, completely inadequate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I just paralyzed man. <laughs> that, uh, sounds good. I just did a quick search for Plastic Man's arch enemy, and it came up that his arch enemy is Doctor Dome, a scientist with a dome hat. So <laughs> <laughs> beware. There you go, Dane. Dane and Doctor Dome team up. Team up. Well, re- wreak havoc. Yeah. As a nice or, ring to it. Or any potential construction worker that you see. Yeah. <laughs> well, he could be a sidekick. He could be like Dome Boy or, you know. <laughs> Dome Boy. <laughs> that sounds so bad. Speaking of Wait, domes, I, I found out how uh, Darth Vader goes to the bathroom. Ah, uh, see? <laughs> yeah. Which I guess is the same way the stormtroopers go as well. They can get out of the suits if they want to, though. Okay. <laughs> they don't need the suits. Speaking of bathrooms, though, uh, just real quick. The nicest place to, I mean, if you need privacy, is is Macy's. Because they always have two bathrooms. One on the bottom floor and one on the top floor. Use the top floor because nobody ever uses that one. If they, if it's a one-floor Macy's, the one in the back because nobody ever uses that one. So, so what you're saying is... It's a little... What you're saying is we shouldn't be recording in Walmart, but going to top floor of Macy's to record the next podcast. Yeah, because, I mean, if you need the privacy, if you don't... Just go ahead into any, into any Macy's bathroom. They have, like, the nicest bathrooms. E- even better, I would say, than Walmart does. Wow, from what you were saying last time, that's saying something, too. Yeah. <laughs> I might be able to eat in there. <laughs> Bring a sandwich, toilet paper, stack of comics, and you're good, you know? I'm, I'm good a little to go. Cave. Yeah. <laughs> Someone knocks on your door. Oh, you've been in there for a few hours. Everything okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm Go away. I'm relaxed. <laughs> I could use some more ice. 
<laughs> I remember there was this one time I went to I went into a bathroom, public bathroom, and um, I heard like this munching. I, I thought it was something in the walls. Maybe they had rats in the walls that were crawling up the walls. And then I looked down, and the guy next to me put down a Pringles can. He was eating Pringles <laughs> while using the bathroom. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of bathrooms and autographs, when I was in middle school, I went to a Star Trek convention, and we're standing online for George Takei, Mr. Sulu, and uh, so it was taking forever, and my brother's like, I gotta go to the bathroom, and he, he was younger than me, he was probably like fifth grade or something at the time, and he leaves to go to the bathroom, and then the line just stopped moving, and um, <laughs> we're like, what's going on, and they're like, oh, George Takei took a bathroom break, and I was just like, oh, I think it's the same one as my brother, my brother comes back, he's like, Dude, I just took a piss with Sulu. With that, spend like Hello. claim the fame. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. Instead, I'm like, yeah. And he was like, was, like, did you say anything to him? He's like, no, but he was with security guards, and he asked the security oh, guards. me pee. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he asked the security guards, like, so are you in college yet? <laughs> yeah, that's my brother's claim to fame. <laughs> urinated with a member of the Enterprise. <laughs> I never expected to hear so many bathroom stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So I guess we can move on to our Batman, Bat Fans Without Pants versus Batman Universe part of section of the podcast. And for this episode, we're taking on the Batman Universe comic podcast since that was, I think that was the second one that doesn't start it. So we're going in chronological order. So... The Batman Universe comic podcast has Joe, uh, Dustin, of course, um, Donovan, and uh, Stella on the podcast. And um, what's the name of the guy that does the uh, bad books for beginners? That's John. I mean, he doesn't record with us, but... Yeah, no, but still, he's part of the... Yeah, okay. He's part of the crew. Okay, so, John... Um, Stella, Donovan, Joe, and Dustin. So that's five people. Now, we don't have to worry about the other four. What we need to really worry about is Dustin. Because Dustin is a big wall of manliness, <laughs> is what I'm calling him. Yeah, he made it clear in the comments that there's two of us going to take him. <laughs> yeah, so what we do is we don't attack, not in the sense that we punch him in the face. But we need, we do need to get rid of him short of killing him, because we don't, we don't want to become murderers and go to jail for the rest of our lives. So, what we need to do is we need to get Dustin to Siberia <laughs> and uh, convince him to create a meth lab in his house. And what we need to do is we need to call up the Siberian police and tell them there's a meth lab in your area. So, what happens is the Siberian police go and arrest Dustin. Dustin goes to jail for, the, for a long time because they're really strict. In Russia. So, that's how we get rid of him. We get rid of him via Russian gulag. Now, this is kind of the hard part, because Stella can talk a lot. She talks <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and she, she has that bubbly personality. So, we need to get somebody from our crew that can um, resist that, because she's going to start talking about Batgirl, Dad's Batgirl, and we're going to get distracted. So, can't get distracted. So, who's up for not listening to Stella talking about Batgirl? Um, I would take that 
on, and I would say that I think the new 52 Batgirl has been the single best Batgirl that has ever been written. I think just getting that out will start this nice dialogue, and she'll get completely distracted. See, here's could, the problem, Rob. You're kind of a big guy. You're you're a bigger guy. So what we need you for is is uh, Donovan and John. I'm not sure what John looks like, or Donovan for that matter. Well, I mean, would John would John still be taken out from the last fight, or is he recovered since then? Um, we actually made a mistake. John's not on. The Batman Universe podcast. So, so no, John, that, that John one's kind of. not. Oh, he's not. Okay, yeah, John, John is uh, on there. Okay, well, John, he has a broken leg. Let's give him a broken leg. Um, so, Rob, what we need you to do, since you're like the biggest guy, we need you to take, to take on Donovan and John. All right. And uh, Terrence, here's what you need to do. You need to take on. Stella, because you're a teacher, she's a teacher, and y- more than anything, you know how to put up with people talking over you when you're trying to do something. Totally. Right? Okay, so that's your responsibility. Take out Stella. I don't know how. Maybe, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You figure it out. That's your job. Talk I, about I got it. it. I got it covered. But there's, there's certain teacher things that I can, I'm not allowed to d- divulge, but I know how to take out a fellow teacher. I've done it before, and I can't talk about it, but I'll, I'll do it again. Let's <laughs> start with, ugh, kids today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At least you've got a battle plan. All I have no. to do is, I'll tell you, all I have to do is go up to her and say, so what do you think about No Child Left Behind act? And then she'll just go on and on and on and on, and she'll just be immobilized. Okay, good. At least you have a battle plan. Tim, you're with me. All right. And, uh... We are also going to go to a Russian gulag, uh, but under lighter charges for like a month, maybe, and just keep keep watching Dustin. Uh, not let our presence know, maybe to the other inmates in the Russian gulag, but not Dustin, because he, he, he needs to feel that he's in there for the rest of his life alone, because otherwise he'll find a way to break out, which we don't want. We don't want him... Cu- Climbing out of the the bottomless pit like in the Dark Knight Rises, even though I I don't think there's a Russian gulag like that, but we just need to keep tabs on him, all right? All right, I, I like that job. You and me got the easy part. <laughs> we got to do anything. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So that's our plan. Does anybody have anything else to add to that? Oh wait, we forgot. Uh, uh, Jinxie baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jinxie still in baby. England. I'm just like what's going on. <laughs> Recording with you guys, and they all disappeared, just muffled fighting. <laughs> for Joe, we're not going to tell him anything, you know, because uh, for both the Batman Universe comic podcast and the Batfans podcast, he's he's he has to stay up, so he's uh, sleep deprived, and you know, if he's sleep deprived, then he starts hallucinating gets cranky, and he's probably going to end up in prison. Because, uh, <laughs> you sound like those uh, direct TV commercials. Where, like, if you have cable, <laughs> if you look out a window, you see something you didn't see. <laughs> Are you staying up for two podcasts? Are you getting out late in the night? Yeah. If you don't, <laughs> you're going to prison. <laughs> don't be on two podcasts. So, <laughs> so he's, he's going to be in prison for a, a mental institution for evaluation for at least two days. At least two days. Um, 
more if he displays even more signs of psychosis, which uh, we got to find out a way to enhance that. Um, but for now, we got him for two days. So Joe's taken care of. Stella's taken care of. Um, Donovan and John are taken care of. And Dustin, he's in a rushed gulag for meth charges. Here's <laughs> <laughs> what I see with this, though. Like, the Dustin thing, that's going to take a long time. You're going to have to really work out. You're going to have to learn Russian, for one thing. <laughs> no, no, you see, I, I, I've got it figured out. We tell Dustin to go cosplay Breaking Bad <laughs> in Russia. I'm, I'm not sure it did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that is our plan. I think it's pretty flawless. I really do think it is. Although... I'm not sure about all their karate skills, except for Dustin, because he was in the military, and I'm sure he knows some stuff. Um, I don't know if Donovan knows karate, or Jonathan, or uh, Stella. So, that might be a little risky, because if you know karate, you can beat anybody up. Karate is Stella does a lot of exercise. She's always going off to swim classes and stuff like that. Okay, so, so we're going to have to plan ahead, then. Yeah, we're going to have to plan ahead, then, because Terrence, I'm sure you're not in the greatest shape in your, of your life. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's safe to say. Actually, you know how bad shape I am is I was looking at the Batman encyclopedia the other day on the toilet, actually, oddly enough, and it's a great toilet read. And I was reading the entry on Harvey Bullock, and his first appearance was in 1974, and I was born in 1974, so I'm as old as Harvey Bullock is, and that just made me feel really old on so many levels. Uh, brother, I was also born in 74. I'm right there with you. <laughs> okay, there you go. We're, you, me, and Harvey went to high school together. And you know what? This podcast is bad luck, because it seems like every time we do this podcast, the Yankees lose and the A's win. And now the A's are back in first place because Texas lost. And it's like, how'd that happen? All right. Yeah. All right. Even though, even though it's a half game, I'm still in love. <laughs> yeah. You may have to stop being out for September, Terrence. <laughs> yeah, we can only appear when the Yankees have the day off. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Terrence, we're getting you a gym membership. We're putting you on, okay. putting you on a strict diet of no grains. <laughs> and... Um, you're gonna start working out. You're gonna get big. You're gonna get a lot of stamina in you. And uh, take some steroids while you're keep... at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, work for A Rod. Yeah, just play A Rod. Yeah, just play A Rod. Work, work for Bane. Yeah. <laughs> so, you can take out Stella. Uh, she seems like a smaller girl. I'm not sure, um, but she might know karate. So, just watch out for that. I, I think it. the best way to take out Stella, and this is equally long-winded, but become such a good writer that you actually work for DC and then write a story where Barbara Gordon marries the Joker and they fall in love. (laughs) 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 Alright, so that is our plan. Dustin, you can poke all the holes in it you want, but it's a pretty good plan because you're going to be in a uh, Siberian gulag pretty soon. (laughs) And it's going to be really cold. So bring a jacket. Um, Also, what I noticed was Dustin. I, I just recently looked at a picture of him. He looks like the guy that created Napster. I don't know what that guy looks like or forgot what he looks like. <laughs> You're referencing two people who I have no idea who either one looks like. <laughs> but in my mind, they're twins, so yeah. <laughs> I used to remember that guy's name. He was like Sue. Sean, Sean uh, something. Finally, fine. Sean Parker. Yeah, it's looked it up to see what you're talking about. <laughs> Okay, now, look up a picture of Dustin. 
and look at the picture of Sean Parker. They, they, they look almost exactly the same. Where did you find the picture of Dustin? Um, uh, on the Facebook. Okay. <laughs> well, that's just Justin Timberlake. Well, that's just what you do with Dustin. You pull a uh, uh, Mary Jane or Jane Doe switch, Harvey Bullock switch. You put Sean Parker into Dustin's life, and you say, "Hey, look at this guy. He's going to live your life. He's going to start. He's going to start selling all your figures. He's going to start giving them away. Close down your eBay accounts. Move up your family. They're going to Saskatchewan." I don't see the similarity between the two. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm the only one that thinks that he looks like the guy from Napster. But anyway, enough about Napster, enough about rushing gulags and Breaking Bad cosplaying. All right, so we can finally get into some comic book news. <laughs> <laughs> Reviews, sorry. Um, and for this episode, we are reviewing the weeks of August 28th and September 4th. For August 28th, we have Batman the Dark Knight number 23 and Batman Superman number 3. For September 4th, we have Batman number 23.1, Joker. Batman and Robin number 23.1, Two-Face. Batman the Dark Knight number 23.1, Ventriloquist. Detective Comics number 23.1, Poison Ivy. And Forever Evil, number one. And our rating show for this episode is going to be how many years, or what was it? The years that Dustin's going to spend in a Russian gulag for making that or something like that. Yeah, that's going to be our uh, rating show. So, uh, for August 28th, Joe, Gypsy Baby, where do you want to start us off at? Uh, well, the only one I read was Batman and the Dark Knight, so I guess it'll have oh. to be that one. Alright, never mind that then, Gypsy Baby. Even though you Please have a cool Please stop calling me that. <laughs> <laughs> I was 16. You know you can make another Skype account, right? <laughs> I didn't know that. It just happened, like, I had a, my best friend was called Jax, and he had a, you remember Bebo? No. That social <laughs> network site? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well... He had that, and I used to call him Jackabibo or Jackaby, and then for some reason he started calling me Jinxy Baby, and it just kind of stuck. So when it was like, think of a nickname, I was like, uh, and that came to head. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been the bane of my life. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a name for a Batman villain, maybe. Jinxy <laughs> Baby. Yeah, and then Dane, also on September 4th, there was Batman Black and White, number one, uh, which was on the second post, but um, Tim, <laughs> here's your mistake. Uh-oh, wait, wait, let's Bat- see if I can see it. Yeah. Or Batman Black and White? Yeah. I, Spell it. I didn't put a number on there, as I see. There's no number, and it's Batman Black and White. Ah! Black <laughs> and White. Yeah. <laughs> see, I wear contacts, and I still can't even catch my mic. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just do it on purpose to see if we'll catch him. I honestly don't. <laughs> as embarrassing as it is, I don't. <laughs> see, even when you mentioned I made a mistake, I still didn't even catch it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still thinking about Jinxie, baby. <laughs> well, we all... <laughs> I'm going to change nope. this right now. How do you do <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say that, that would make an awesome uh, Twitter Twitter name, Jinxy Baby at Jinxy Baby. Well, I have to change it now, otherwise all my one fan will try and add me. 
All right. Enough about Jinxie, baby. We'll, we'll call you Joe. Say it ain't so, Joe. <laughs> but, yeah, you probably wouldn't know what that meant, but it's pretty sad. Sad story. Uh, but for August 28th, let's go with uh, Rob. Rob, where do you want to start us off at? Well, uh, I didn't get uh, Detective, or Detective, The Dark Knight in my comic book shop, uh, quote-unquote, uh, did not give me another comic again that week, so that was Batman and Superman. So the only one I have would be Teen Titans for the Birdwatch, so uh, we'll save that for uh, the end so somebody else can pick. Tim? All right. I'll just tell me you read at least one of these. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and go with my favorite for that week, which is Batman and Superman number three. And uh, safely to say, this I pretty much love this issue. <laughs> it wasn't expected to be this good, and the reason I liked it so much wasn't so much of the main story that's going on between the two Batman and the two Superman parallel worlds thing. While it was cool, the main thing I loved about this issue was the flashback sequence they had of uh, Earth 2, Batman and Superman, uh, Bruce and Clark meeting as kids. I just thought it was really cool to see that. I know in certain continuities there was times where they met as children. I always kind of liked that, just even though they didn't have any idea that uh, they would become superheroes later on, but it was cool that they had this early interaction with each other. This is a cool sequence, too, where uh, Bruce or Clark is trying to teach Bruce to play baseball. He's asking him, has he ever played before? Bruce is all no, and he like swings and misses at the pitches Clark is throwing. And so he asks, Clark asks him, what do you do for fun? And then at the next panel, we show like Jonathan, Ken, and Alfred talking. Then you just see Bruce rolling up his sleeves and like ready to challenge uh, Clark to a fight. And then Clark discharges him, and then in typical Batman fashion, Bruce just lifts him up and flips him over him and onto the ground. It's just really cool to see that. Even as little kids, Batman has the upper hand in Superman, even as strong as he is. But that's what made the issue for me. I just thought it was really cool seeing them interact as children, like having fun together and then also having some serious conversations as kids, kind of just building that friendship, you know, that they're going to have as Batman and Superman. I just always think it was cool to see it grow and start early on as kids. But even that, the main story between the team up between Batman and Superman, I like where it's going, where you finally got to reveal what this uh, villain who's like possessing different people's bodies, what her main story is. And it really ties into the Justice League uh, dark side issue from Villains Month. Kind of got more insight to what her ties to dark side and apocalypse is, which is pretty much she's she likes like playing tricks and every, on like Dark Side and gets him to go to these parallel Earths and. Hey, Tim, can I interrupt you? Yeah. Hey Joey, with uh, the Jinxie baby. Oh um, man. <laughs> <laughs> you you have to you have to join a British rap group because. I already have, but it didn't baby. work out. <laughs> and, you're at, and the song that you can write can be titled "I Jinx the Baby." It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> I jinxed the baby. Yeah, I jinxed what, the baby. That's where it went wrong, because I, I was the backup. So maybe if I came out leading strong, then it would have worked. Right, I'm going to work on this. Hey, let me ask, where are you getting the jinxy baby from? Where is? Where do you see that, or where is that on? Um, that That's uh, it's a Skype user. Well, I don't know. It's a Skype user. Okay, because on mine it just comes out, it just says Joe Jinx. It doesn't say jinxy baby. Yeah, but not the way. That's like the greatest name ever, Jinxie Baby. But uh, <laughs> Tim, Batman Superman, how was it? <laughs> <laughs> if you're not going to interrupt me anymore with uh, 
Jixie baby ideas. <laughs> uh, I'm never coming back. <laughs> it's either that or you can start your own, um, um, I don't know what you call it, but you know those stores for only newborn babies? <laughs> like, uh, they sell, like, cribs and, clo- like, little one-piece clothes. Yeah, they, they don't all that have kind of stuff anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you, should, you should go into marketing or something, or like be baby's a babies. band manager. <laughs> All these ideas you're having. I think we should change yeah, the name I mean. of the podcast to Bat Fans with Jinxie Baby. And then if she's not on the show, it's like Bat Fans without Jinxie Baby. Yeah. Uh, the thoughts and opinions of this podcast do not reflect all members of the Bat Fans Without Pants podcast. <laughs> Bat Fans Without Jinxie Baby. Uh. Or, I, I you, with Jinxie Baby, yeah. It is fun to say. Now I, I kind of see where Dave's going with it. Just the more I say it, the more fun it is. Joe, it was so nice yeah, having Joe, you on here. You, uh, <laughs> that's like the idea of Dane just sitting there, like saying my name over and over again to himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you sent me that that name or your Skype name, and I was at work, and I I could not stop just giggling and laughing and. Just Jinxie Baby, everything. Just like, I think I'll go get another uh, cup of water, Jinxie Baby. And like, <laughs> uh, Jinxie Baby, I think. <laughs> Sitting in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. Spring Jinxie Baby over and over again. Eating his Pringles, thinking of Jinxie Baby. <laughs> and it got to the point where it, it got so bad that, you know, I'm sitting in traffic and. Um, I'm at a stoplight and I'm in the first car and there's traffic coming towards me and I'm laughing to myself and I look like a crazy person <laughs> because I'm, I'm just like Jixie baby. <laughs> Remember that Simpsons episode where Mr. Burns keeps laughing, like he has this flashback and he keeps laughing, yeah. showing in his car, like taking a bath. <laughs> He's just laughing. He's like, what was I laughing at again? <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, yeah, that crippled Irish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man! How do I even get back to this review now? <laughs> yeah, and I meant to ask you. Uh, I've seen one Simpsons episode in my life, what? and um, yeah, I, I I wanted to know which one was the one where the bartender is playing the video in his bar. I think his name is Mo. Is yeah. It? Yep. Yeah, Mo the bartender. Yeah, and like uh, he's playing the video and he pauses it and it's on a weird face. I mean, his, his face is all, like all weird, and then he fast forwards it again, and oh, then yeah. pauses it again. It's another <laughs> weird face. Yeah. Which episode is that? Is that the one where he gets plastic Do surgery you know? done? I want to say it's I, I think so, and then he becomes know. a soap opera star. Yeah. I, I think if that's it the is, one. The yeah. Episode name is Pig Mo. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <That's like> <laughs> is that, uh, see, that yeah, make you want to watch? No, not really. I mean, I, I mean, it, like, I kind of get bored of it, to be honest. I mean, just being uh, honest, like, it's kind of like, uh, like, Homer is kind of like missing a chromosome and, you know. Uh, That's actually a lot like, in the episode, in an episode. Really? <laughs> yeah. That, the, the, the pig one? No, it just was, uh, Marge's sister says that line. And he's got a crown oh. up his nose, yeah. It's Mo it. has, sorry, Mo has, I didn't mean oh, interrupt sorry. you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was just gonna say, Mo has the most disturbing line I've ever heard on television. Is when the one where Homer was dressed up like a panda bear, and then the other male panda bear like tries to mate with him and is dragging him away. And Mo just just looks, he's like, "You ain't going nowhere, sweetheart." <laughs> like, oh, I can't believe I just heard that. <laughs> so yeah, Batman and Superman number three. 
Please continue, Tim. <laughs> Where did I even leave off? <laughs> Just that this was a really good issue. But uh, I, I mentioned all the young Bruce and Clark flashbacks up, but I think where I left off was that reading the Justice League uh, Dark Side Villains tie-in issue, uh, it ties into this issue, actually, which sets some light on the character who's possessing everybody. I believe her name is, uh, I want to say Kayo or something like that. Yeah, it's Kayo. And then that she goes to these different universes to kind of lure Darkseid there. And when Darkseid goes to those worlds, he destroys them. And then that's why she's right now doing it to the Earth 2. And then we get we find out, too, in the Justice League tie-in that Darkseid went to the main Earth, which we saw in the first Justice League comic art, was because she kind of drew him there. And he was kind of surprised that he got beaten because he's beaten all the different Supermen and all these different parallel Earths, like, in the Justice League issue, we see a panel where like, he has all, all these Superman bodies just lying on top of each other, but the only one he wasn't able to beat was the Earth 2 and the main Earth Superman. So the main concept of the story is pretty cool. I'm liking it, but like I said, the one thing that really made this issue for me was seeing those cool flashbacks with young Clark and young Bruce. So love the issue, and I'm going to go ahead and give it four and a half uh, years that Dustin's going to spend in a Russian gulag for making meth. <laughs> That might be the longest review ever. <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds really good, and I'm really ticked at the quote-unquote comic book shop that I get my books from that I missed it. Yeah, uh, it's definitely worth getting. I like it a lot. How they said uh, it's damages. A comic book shop, we get damages all the time, so it always seems like it's my books that are damaged. And they're like, oh, you'll get you'll get it in two weeks. So two weeks from now, I'll review it. <laughs> No. When issue four is out, you'll be reading yeah. issue three. I think the only um, the only name that could um, match with uh, Jinxie Baby is is Dustin because he he can have a uh, Dusty Baby or um, <laughs> or Stella because she could be Stelly Baby. <laughs> so I, I I think those are the only two because Johnny Baby doesn't really work. Donnie Baby doesn't really work. Uh, Melindy baby doesn't really work. Eddie baby doesn't really like work. <laughs> I, I do too. <laughs> I'm desperately now trying to find how to change this by car. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to own it. <laughs> Man, I'm looking forward to hearing all the other different ideas that you're going to come up with before this is over. You listen to the next episode, you're going to come with a short list. Yeah. <laughs> um. Did uh, anybody read anything else from that week? I, I guess we only have one book left, The Dark Knight number 23. Yeah. Well, I read Batman Superman number three as well. Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, that's okay. Yeah, um, yeah, Batman Superman number three. Uh, Tim basically based, touched on all the points that I wanted to touch on. The only thing I wanted to add to his review was that I really liked the scenes, not only with Bruce and Clark as youngsters, but there were some good Alfred and Jonathan Kent moments in that yeah, as well, um, which I really liked, and that um, was kind of cool. And I, I like how Bruce, uh, even as a kid, was a detective. I love it when they make Bruce a detective. You know, that's my big knock on Snyder, that he's not a detective in those stories. And he knows that Clark has got these powers or something special, and he whacks him over the head with a stick, and he says, yeah, you're stronger than you let on, stronger than anybody. Why do you hide it? And it's just kind of cool to see him like as a youngster being the world's greatest detective um and you know i love the art I, i'm in the i've, I've read a couple of reviews on this and they've kind of criticized the artwork for 
not really having background detail, but that's just the, the art style and, um, I, I kind of like it. I like how it gives it this kind of, uh, different quality to it. So, um, yeah, my, my review is very much in line with Tim and I will give this, uh, four years, three months and two days that Dustin will have to spend <laughs> in a Russian gulag, um, where kind of like Christian Bale and, um, Batman Begins, he can, use some of the inmates as practice for us, but it won't help them because we still go down to defeat. Sounds good. And um, I, I, I read so... The Dark Knight as well. And did anybody read the... Um, okay. I'm just sorry, but uh, did anybody read the Batman Incorporated special? I, that came out that week also. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, see, I didn't get that one. I didn't read that. And then... But... And you want me to... Like, right. I mean, oh. you know it's an anthology, but uh, if you were going to pick it up, Anyway, then it's it's good. Like if you're if you're into the concept, then it's fun. If you're hesitant, then don't bother. Because I mean, it's like I really enjoyed it, and but it's like some stories are really good, others not so much. And for the price of it, if you're if you're not hundred percent invested, then don't bother. But I had fun with it. Yeah, that's kind of how I was when I was like at the comic show. Uh, not too many characters I really really like out of Batman Incorporated. So like, oh, that was so. Yeah. Yeah, the, with the prize, I kind of passed on it. But. Oh, and I left it in my uh, poll box uh, this week. Uh, thought about picking it up, saw the price of it. I'm going to just so I could, you know, complete the run, but I, I thumbed through some of it. So uh, the price is a little high, but I'll eventually end up getting it. All right, so so who read um, Dark Knight number 23? I read that. You too, Tim? I read it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Terrence, why don't you go? All right. So Dark Knight, number 23. This is the um, conclusion of the Clayface story. And I quite like this issue a lot. Um, it's kind of different. I've, I've been reading comics digitally, but I went to the uh, local comic book store, which isn't much of a comic book store. And um, I'm like, well, i got to buy something in here. So I picked this one up. And it, it looked really great in paper. I kind of missed the paper. Um, and, you know... Um, it's kind of cool because they, you know, the, the beginning is just kind of straight up. Batman's trying to contain Clayface and he gets away. So then Batman goes back to Arkham um, and, it, and he meets um, the Mad Hatter uh, again. So it's kind of touching on some of that earlier story. So I like when they do that. And um, it was t- tying in a little bit with the Natalia story um, and that there's a connection to Penguin. And they have a pretty good scene where um, Batman goes into Penguin's um bedroom at night and that exchange is uh, pretty good and then um uh i did also kind of like the exchange with um batman and commissioner gordon on the rooftop and batman whack slaps uh jim right in the face just to make sure he's not <laughs> clay face and uh so that was kind of a cute scene there uh and then they they kind of do i don't know the ending was i don't know it was if you ever see the movie The Three Amigos. I was like, thinking the same thing too. Yeah. <laughs> Chevy Chase and yeah. Martin Short. It, uh. It's kind of a Three Amigos kind of ending. So I, I kind of let the ending left me a little bit of like, uh, and if, maybe if I'd never seen The Three Amigos, I might think like, well, that was really clever, but, um, it, it wasn't a huge part of the book. It was probably just two or three pages, uh, and they get Clayface contained and he flies away with them. Um, and they've got him contained, but I like the ending where it's kind of like Clayface is trapped and, and contained, but just the tiniest crack and he can get out again, which I'm sure for Villains Month, um, 
he'll get out and wreak all kinds of havoc. Um, so, uh, you know, this was, this was good, above average, um, and I will definitely give this, uh, three years, four months, and two days that Dustin will be, uh, prisoner in the Russian gulag. So, so what about, um, Jinxie Baby, a comedy starring Jeff Bridges <laughs> and, uh, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to say anymore, Jeff Bridges and I'm in. <laughs> No, no, you, you need to hear the second part. And, uh, <laughs> that werewolf guy from, uh, no, no, that, that werewolf guy from Twilight. Could Jeff Bridges eat him? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. They're father son for some reason, even though they, they look nothing alike. <laughs> and, and, and they go out to try to bond together. They go on a road trip to bond together, and hilarity ensues. Which one of them is Jinxie Baby? Uh, the the kid from Twilight. Oh, f*** you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what might save this, though? If, uh, if, I, if I'm played by Taylor Lautner, but I have two fathers. One is Jeff Bridges, and one is Steve Buscemi. <laughs> okay, now I'm in. Right, they both so fight over who loves me more, and then like, no, you love him more. No, you love him. He's not my kid. Looks nothing like me. Have you ever been driving and then you realize how the heck did I end up here? That's where I feel like I'm at right now. It's like <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> It is so light outside now. It's it's gone past birds singing. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're just getting on with their day now. (laughs) Somebody's looking in your window going, Slacker, don't you have a job? (laughs) All right. So, uh, Tim, why don't you tell us about what you thought about uh, The Dark Dark Knight, uh, number 23. I thought this one was a good issue. I was kind of surprised that this was going to be the last part of this arc that Greg Kurwitz is doing, because usually he's going for like five or six issues, so this was the last one, although which kind of left the ending day where it could go on, because it says it's going to be continued in billing months, but I don't know if that's just something extra, we'll see, but um, the issue, like overall, I just like the certain moments in this one where, like you mentioned, Terrence, that scene with uh, Batman and the Penguin was really cool, seeing Penguin get that umbrella that ends up just being like flowers. <laughs> it also reminded me, too, of that uh, Batman the Animated Series episode, The Ultimate Thrill, where Batman's looking for Roxy Rocket, and then he sneaks into Bat Penguin's apartment while he's, like, getting ready for bed, and he just punches him on the bed, and then he the punches him through the window and just hangs him over the like uh, his building, like, ready to drop him. I was hoping something like that would happen, but nothing did, but it was still a fun sequence. And I, I also like the art for this issue, too. This type of style is not something I really like, but I think it fits the story that they're telling with Clayface. Kind of like how the art would try when he would make his different shapes and all that stuff. And just the overall design with him had more of the animated series feel from the the first one of the animated series. So I did like the art, and the story it ended in a, I guess, a satisfying way, even though, like you said, Terrence, the way they caught him was a little bit, that made you scratch your head a bit, saying, uh, okay, didn't think Batman would really resort to that, but I guess it worked. So, overall, it was a good issue. Nothing really great. So, I'm just going to go ahead and give it three out of five years that Dustin will spend in the Russian gulag. I, uh, All right. So, oh, I read this as well. Did you read it too? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've already covered it on the comic podcast, but just quickly, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, this, this is actually continuing in uh, after Villain Month. It's, so, it's, we're 
getting more clay face, but it's going back to okay. classic Lois, and he's doing an origin story, which he loves to do. Yeah, um, I thought it was a good yeah. story. <laughs> I, I, I appreciated like the, the short story, even if we're getting more of Clayface, I appreciated that it was just two issues. Um it it wasn't particularly deep, it didn't really say anything special, but I thought it was kinda of fun for what it was and overall I enjoyed it. So I gave it uh three years of Dustin will spend in the Google. <laughs> Alright. Um so we can move on to the week of September 4th, and for September 4th, we have Batman number 23.1, Joker, Batman and Robin number... Blah, 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 blah. I already <laughs> said this, so... <laughs> um, Batman number 23.1, Batwoman can't get married, but Joker can have a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> now, hey, uh, some of my best friends are gorillas, so it's uh, easy on the gorilla stuff. <laughs> no, not really, I'm just pulling your leg. But... Um, I thought this issue was actually kind of good. Um, I didn't like the whole uh, gorilla stuff, even though it was kind of connected to the part I liked, which was the um, Joker's past and how he was treated like crap with his auntie. I mean, uh, from his auntie. And um, uh, it, it, it's just this gorilla thing. I think it was just two way, two way out there. I mean, I, I know what they were trying to do, but it, it just felt like it was just two way out there. Even though they kind of connected it with, uh, uh, or by saying that um, Joker was giving the baby gorilla the life that he never had, which um, which was kind of great to see. You know, J- Joker's sympathy, kind of. Even though he turns the gorilla into a killer, um, but but it was great to see some of his sympathy and you know connecting that part with the stuff in the past uh, just made this issue a whole lot better because he, we can see where he comes from if it's even real. You know he could just be making it up like he supposedly made up the Killing Joke. Um, so for me, I kind of like this issue. Kind of didn't. I mean the. The gorilla thing is really hard to get over because he's on. I mean, he, he's the big thing in this book. I, I did like the end where where the uh, gorilla kills himself because, I mean, I can only assume he realized what he had become and what he was doing. He felt some regret, which Joker could never feel. I mean, even though he was raised by Joker to to kill, and um, yeah, I I kind of like this issue. So I'm probably gonna give this one. Uh, three and a half out of five years that Dustin um, is going to spend in a Russian gulag for selling crystal methamphetamine, and I would also give this three and a half Jinxie babies. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Rob, did you read this one? Yes, I did. Um, I was really let down uh, by this one. Uh, the cover is better than the story itself. Um, uh, being that's a Joker and that uh, I think on eBay right now, if you look, this Joker cover is going uh, for a crazy amount of money right now. I think the last couple bids I saw, maybe $50, $60 or something like that, people are bidding on it. And I'm just like, just, <laughs> just if you're buying it to see, ooh, Joker's your favorite character, there's going to be this awesome story. It's not in this book. Uh, like you said, the uh, if you took out all the gorilla crap out of the book like you said I get what they were doing but the parts that I found were more interesting were the Joker backstory I guess you know coming out of the death of the family and 
you know, is the Joker dead or is he alive? And knowing, okay, this is going to be, uh, I almost called it a prequel, but, you know, an earlier time in, in the new 52, um, I was really kind of looking forward to that and just, I was just really disappointed by this book. Um, and this was the first book that I read. I thought, oh, I can't wait to read this. And then going through some of the other ones, I'm like, man, if every story is like this and I paid three ninety nine for this special cover and all I'm getting is a cover that I'm just going to look at every now and then, I, I'm going to, I'm going to give this two out of five times that, uh, Dustin, uh, years that he's got to spend the Russian gulag, but uh, it'll be more torture if he has to continue to read this book. Yeah, I'm pretty much right there with you, Rob. <laughs> just disappointing is a good word to say, because I mean, when you talk villain month, what other villain are you most looking forward to than the it's, Joker? It's, it's the Joker, and I'm like, for crying out loud. It, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there are parts that you really like. I mean, the, the flashback stuff with his youth was like really you know, cool to see. I mean, we never, at least I can't remember seeing like flashbacks of Joker as a, a small kid and just seeing the rough upbringing he had with his aunt. With his, you did feel sympathy for the character, which is something you never really feel for the Joker. And just kind of having him have that flashback as we see him in the zoo, like he has his hand over his head, like, huh, this made me like remind me some of my past. But then, yeah, like when he gets that whole gorilla thing where he's raising it to be, like you said, the son he never had. And then to me, this kind of, why'd it have to be a gorilla? How much more, like, crazy would it be and more creepy if Joker actually, like, kidnapped a real small kid, kind of something like he did in uh, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker with Tim Drake? And if he tried to make his son he never had, who, as a, who was a real kid and a human being. So, yeah, I just couldn't get into the whole gorilla thing. And this really what could have been a pretty cool issue. just knocked it down, really, because there's some great stuff in it with the flashback, with the main thrust of it, with the gorillas. Like, yeah, I really couldn't get into it. But then it ends with, like... You see the gorilla's hat floating in the water, wondering if he's actually dead, and it has the question, to be continued, pick up the current issues of Batman to find out. It's like, I really don't care too much if the gorilla's going to be in it or not. So just like a story that really didn't leave a lasting impression on me that I'm going to be thinking about for a while. So, yeah, I'm disappointed with it. I'm probably going to give it two and a half out of five years Dustin will spend in a Russian gulag. Well, I wanted to say real quick, so does that mean in zero year we're going to get this stupid friggin' gorilla? <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, get no, that impression. I'm just kind of like, everybody's pretty much on board with Scott Snyder. He's doing a great job. I'm like, he better make this stupid gorilla look really friggin' cool or write it really good or Kapoor or whatever. I'm just like, oh, man. It, I, I was really bummed when I read that last tagline. I'm like, God. I want to give it a one. <laughs> wow. I mean, it, it's, like you said, it's villain month. This should be the flagship v- villain that they are touting. Hey, the Joker, he's he's on the front cover of a book. Check it out. And it's like, yuck, yuck, we got a gorilla in this issue there, buddy. <laughs> it's like, are they doing the origin for Gorilla Grodd 2 or something? <laughs> I, actually, as I was reading it, I thought, Oh, is this the birth of Gil- Gorilla Garot or something? But no, I- I'm done. I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so well, you know, gonna- I-, I really hope that 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 gorilla is dead because, I mean, <laughs> I don't wish death on anybody, especially a fake gorilla in a comic book. But I hope he's dead because if he's dead, it serves the story and completes the story for me. Even though I'm the only one that liked it, it's in my. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm with uh, Joe. 
Oh, uh, Joe, go ahead. Terrence. Uh, okay. Everyone, um, sorry. Yeah, I'm with Tim and Rob with this one. Uh, very disappointing, and I'm very confused because I just don't even know what this whole villain month thing is all about. I thought it was spinning out of for every um, evil and showing what the villains were doing in this world without the heroes. And then the Joker story is taking place, who knows when, but not during the Forever Evil stuff. Um, so I don't know if these are all supposed to be origin stories for the villains or what they're doing with Forever Evil. But it was basically like, well, we want to make money by selling the Joker story, but we don't want him in Forever Evil. He's mentioned briefly like, oh, he's wearing someone else's face and he's hiding out in there or something. I don't know. So, um, yeah, and then the story itself, I was just not really feeling it and i just don't know how you train a gorilla to use a machine gun and fly and build bombs and i mean it just was just bordered on absurd so um i'm gonna give this no years that dustin will have to stay in there wow. uh, he yeah. he's eligible for parole as soon as he enters because um, that's how disappointed i was the flashbacks didn't even you know <laughs> any points from you i like the joker better when you don't know his origin and if yes. they're going to do an origin, I would prefer it that he fell in a vat of chemicals as the Red Hood, as opposed to his aunt scrubbing his skin with bleach. Um, I did kind of like the how they paralleled what she was doing with what he was doing with the gorilla, kind of. That was okay, but overall, I, I, I would prefer Jack Napier falling in a vat of Axis chemicals. Really? Because, cause, I mean, I, I like Joker with that tragic story. You know, it's, it makes him more relatable, even though... I mean, how can you relate to a chaotic man? Uh, but, I don't know, it's just something about tragic characters. I mean, especially in the Batman universe, because a lot of Batman's villains are just tragic. But but I can see how you, how you like it, because, I mean, everybody's insane. Everybody has this tragic, you know, background. But Joker is this one guy that is evil, just pure evil. So, um, You guys I, saw the Scream movie, right? Uh, with Nev Campbell and all that at the very end of the movie where they're explaining, you know, why, why did Jeffrey Dahmer eat people? Why did, you know, this, this, this happen? Like, you don't know. It's always scarier when you don't know. I like the anonymity of who the, who the Joker was. And you kind of come up with your own thing of, like, what could have possibly happened to him? And I like that before it was never really addressed. You may get snippets of it, but it's quote-unquote as cool as those parts might have been for this book, the rest of the book just totally pees all over that. Yeah, you know what? You're right, because I just came up with a great backstory for the Joker. Uh, the Joker was on Skype one day, and he decided to <laughs> <laughs> make the name Jinxie Baby, and everybody made fun of him, so that's why he's chaotic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just keep pushing, we'll see what happens. <laughs> with Joe, tomorrow you need to go to the zoo and find a baby gorilla. What do you gorilla. mean tomorrow? It's <laughs> <almost> <laughs> seven in the morning. <laughs> so later today. So you're still going to pick up this issue, Joe, <laughs> after our glowing reviews? I'm not so sure now. <laughs> All right, so I, I, I guess we can move on to our next book, which is uh, Batman and Robin, number 23.1, Two-Face. Um, let us go with Terrence. Yeah, this uh, book, um, right away I like the cover. Uh, I had the 2D version, um, but um, 
I was lucky enough they they sent my this week of comics to me, so I was able to get it for the podcast. Um, the cover is by Chris Burnham, who is art I really like, and then interiors are done by Gillian March, who I, I've always really liked his uh, artwork. Um, and it was pretty true to the Two Face character with the coin. And then speaking of team ups, uh, you know, it, it starts right off with a Scarecrow Two Face team up, which was a pretty good interaction, and it ties into the Forever Evil with the coins. Um, and I kind of liked how um, Two-Face kind of feels like he needs to protect the city, and he does that by going around shooting everybody who's uh, doing anything wrong. And, and it leads him back to his old um, place where he would work when he was the DA to the Gotham Courthouse, and it was kind of cool him going to his old uh, office. Um, then that's when it kind of lost me. Then it kind of got into sort of a court scene, and he's kind of shooting people and judging them. The coins, or the coin is judging them whether they should be imprisoned or death. But I'm not, I can never really figure out how he had everybody handcuffed and who was working for who and how he could just sit there with a gun and yet people would come up in chains. And so the, I, I, maybe it was just me and it was a little confusing. But then it just kind of ends with a big shootout and, Harvey heading out. So I like the first half of this issue a lot, and I like the artwork. Story-wise, the second half of the issue kind of um, kind of lost me, except I did like the very last panel where it's the back of um, Two-Face's head, and he flips the coin and it comes up scarred, and he decides to make the city bleed. Um, but then that's it, so I don't know where they're going with that or where I'll get to see any of that. So... Um, the cover in the first half saves this, and so I would give it two years that Dustin has to spend in the gulag. I like this one. This was a breath of fresh air after I read the Joker first, and I went to this one, and I opened up the book. I'm like, you better be good. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I did like it. I, I agree with Terrence that the back half kind of lost me a little bit, um, although I guess it's probably supposed to be portraying a little bit more of his you know, split personality that he's so, he can't do anything without the coin. You know, he was, he's saying that, you know, he'll do, uh, be part of the forever evil, this, I want to call him secret society, I think that's wrong. Uh, no, you're right. Yeah, but uh, he'll only do it if he can flip the coin, and that all the decisions are going to be made by the coin, so he's, they're really playing the coin motif up in this, that the coin is also the thing that they used to communicate with in forever evil, so, um, yeah, the end courtroom scene was almost like this spaghetti western. We're going to have this big, huge shootout and everything like that. But uh, I do like that the books are referencing that the Justice League is gone. You know, like, Batman's not here, the city's in chaos. And, you know, who better to try and take care of the city than Harvey Dent? And he's, you know, literally being pulled in both both sides in the issue, so I, I like that. Uh, the cover in the first half of the story, I, I agree with Terrence, it really do kind of save the book. Um, it's a step in the right direction for the, hopefully the rest of the for, or, or villain month stories. So I'm going to grade this a little bit higher, that this is going to be a three out of five years that Dustin is going to have to eat goulash in a Russian goulash. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you guys in the beginning, but I think I probably enjoyed it more overall than you guys did, because I didn't mind the whole second half, really. To me, it sounded like a very two-faced thing to do with him, like decide, deciding who lives and who dies as his way of protecting Gotham with his coin. But also, Terrence, uh, there was a sequence uh, before he goes to the courtroom where 
Apparently, when he shot everybody, he didn't necessarily kill them all. You do see him, like, loading up all, like, the prisoners into the back of a police van, like, and then driving up to the courthouse, and they're all, like, handcuffed and tied up. So that's how he got them there. Not necessarily, he just killed everybody when he shot them. Also, too, like, this uh, interaction he had at the beginning with Scarecrow. Being a big Scarecrow fan, it's always cool to see him. But I like what Scarecrow did by, like, taking the coin as he flipped it. And then he had the Secret Society coin and Harvey's coin, and like each hand, he's making Harvey choose, like to try to get him to join the Secret Society. So I did like that sequence too. And just overall, the whole concept of Harvey Dent like debating with himself to be the protector of Gotham or to make it bleed, as he says in the end, especially like the inner monologue, how it opens up. It's like it has him saying, "I love this city. I hate this city." I hate hearing it laugh. I love hearing it cry. Just the duality he's having with himself when wanting to protect or destroy Gotham. So this is a classic Two-Face stuff what makes him a cool character. So overall, I really like this issue. Like you said, Rob, definitely a breath of fresh air after the Joker one. So I'm going to go ahead and give it four years out of five that Dustin will spend in a Russian gulag. It's a long time. <laughs> it was that good. <laughs> and I think this 3D cover works uh, better than the Joker's. Like the coin uh, flipping in his thumb is a nice touch. I actually feel like this one's moving a little bit more. Let us go with Forever Evil number one. Let's go with uh, Rob. Huh. I was very pleasantly surprised uh, with this. Uh, this is a very dense uh, issue, so uh, if I miss things somewhere, everybody else that's read it, hopefully you can uh, chime in on everything. Um, I think the big thing, at least as far as the uh, Bat fans are concerned, is what is going to happen to our boy Nightwing. Uh, it's been kind of touted for a while in uh, probably, geez, probably the last three months, if it's been that long, that rumors of Nightwing is going to die. Uh, spoilers, if you haven't uh, read it yet, uh, it goes without saying in all these books, uh, stop the podcast and uh, go read them for yourself and then come back. Um, this is coming directly right out of the end of the Trinity War from the Justice League, uh, picking up after that. Uh, apparently the Justice League has all been killed or destroyed, beaten up, locked up. They're saying that they're dead. Uh, the uh, crime syndicates, uh, they're pooling all of the villains, breaking them out all across all the prisons throughout uh, the world and bringing them all to the Fallen Watchtower, which I had forgotten that had fallen from the sky from a uh, Despero fight with a firestorm and uh, uh, the Adam when that all happened. So that was nice that that all got pieced together. So that's where the big uh, meeting is held. And uh, I believe the issue opens up, if I remember correctly, with uh, Lex Luthor uh, kind of going through and uh, holding, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, and a helicopter basically, uh, what was that? I think it's Tim Cord because uh, yeah. the old Blue Beetle was Ted Cord. Okay. And so he talks about Cord Industries, and I think he said his name was Tim Cord. Uh, it's Thomas. Yeah. Thomas Cord. Of course, yeah. it was a T. Yeah. <laughs> and not Ted. I knew it wasn't Ted. So. But you know, wanting to get his uh, company, and you're, we're going to sell it. We're going. I'm going to take out your family, and then all of a sudden, a blackout, and helicopter comes crashing down, and. Uh, uh, Luthor is kind of even talking about a cat that he, you know, could have saved and let die. And 
in the rubble of the helicopter that Luthor manages to escape from. Uh, he sees a message on his phone that says, The world is ours. And uh, we have the uh, evil cyborg known as the Grid now uh, to sending out uh, this message. And uh, we see our good buddy Nightwing bringing Mr. Zaz through Gotham City. So it's kind of a little loose that, you know, Nightwing is in Chicago and, hey, Zaz happened to be running around, so he's bringing back uh, Zaz um, to Arkham and to see uh, Superwoman ripping off the gates of Arkham Asylum. Nightwing goes to investigate and uh, looks like he's basically hung. And uh, <laughs> looks like <laughs> I uh, first read that, I'm thinking uh, boy got his neck snapped. Uh, so then it's just... Uh, this is a really dense book. Uh, we get to see uh, Ultraman uh, snorting some uh, kryptonite cocaine to get strong. Uh, the rogues of uh, oh, the Flash are kind of uh, talking amongst themselves about what's going on, and more and more of the DC villains are getting together. And uh, we are seeing a press conference with the crime syndicate basically saying that you can be part of our secret society and to show what they've done. They've got rid of the quote unquote heroes on their world. They bring out Nightwing who has been beaten to hell and back. And they, here we are spoilers, take the mask off of Nightwing in public. It's being broadcast and say that his name is Richard Grayson. They show his driver's license photo, which I thought was kind of funny to be like, hey, Nightwing, get out your wallet real quick. We want to see who you are. And uh, we get reactions from uh, the Teen Titans, uh, more importantly, uh, Tim, and uh, the reaction from Dick Grayson. And it was a nice little moment from or to Dick Grayson, uh, uh, Barbara Gordon. <laughs> but seeing that little moment that Terrence talked about with Lex Luthor saying, Richard Grayson, who the hell is that? So... <laughs> Um, which made me wonder, going, okay, who has to be smart to go, well, Bruce Wayne took in that kid from the circus, and Bruce Wayne said he was funding Batman Incorporated. Ta-da! So uh, I thought this was a really, really good uh, issue, and uh, it's ending with uh, Lex Luthor saying, you know, there was many times that he wished that he would have I wonder what he would have done if he would have saved the cat, and he ends up saying the line, this is a job for Superman, as Ultraman is pushing the moon uh, to block the sun as Ultraman is uh, feels the poison and the sting of the sun. So I'm sure I, I missed that quite a bit here, so I'll rely on the rest of you guys, but um, I thought uh, the Trinity War was good. It could have been better, but this just one issue of Forever Evil with just coming right out with a big punch to the gut, at least for me being a Robin fan and a Nightwing fan of uh, having your hero demasked in public. Um, it's really kind of made my stomach a little queasy. He's like, no, no. So how's he going to come out of this? So uh, I'm going to give this uh, five out of five years that Dustin is going to spend in a Russian gulag. I really, really enjoyed this issue. I'm sorry for laughing, but when you said night when Nightwing, it looks like he's hung. I, I took that the wrong way. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Terrence, what, what did you think about this? 
Yeah, uh, I'm, I, I probably did not like it as much as Rob, but I'm close to it. Um, and I thought this was a really good, um, for a big event book, this was a good way to start it. And uh, I did not read The Trinity War. I did listen to a podcast. Um, there's these guys, I forget the name of their podcast. They're pretty hardcore. They do every single book in the new uh, 52. And I really haven't listened to them that much, but I um, just picked it out to... Um, just to find out what's going on with Trinity War. And uh, so I kind of got a, a little bit, but I'm still not really sure what happened to all the heroes and stuff. Um, but I think Rob did a pretty good job summing it. A couple things that bugged me, and I, I remember when we were talking about um, death of the family, and I said, you know, I, I really didn't feel like there were any permanent changes done in death of the family, and I'm going to be annoyed that if, you know, in a few months or so, they just like sweep it all under the rug and it's just all forgiven. And here's where they sweep it under the rug and it's all forgiven because the one scene where Nightwing has got Zaz and he's flying through the air and he says something and Barbara says, well, we've all gone through too much, especially lately, to let something as erroneous as Joker's lies keep us away from Bruce. Let's meet without the masks. And it's like, all right, well, that's all just done and over with, I guess. Um, but um, And the other thing I did like... But I don't know if this was just an oversight, but when they showed um, Tim's reaction, uh, Tim Drake, not our podcast, Tim, but when they showed Tim's reaction to um, Dick Grayson, let me find that here, uh, being unmasked, um, they, who is it that talks to him? I, I can't find it, but whoever it was who, who uh, spoke to uh, Tim calls him Robin. They don't call him Red Robin. They're like, um... Oh, it's um, Wonder Cassie. Girl. Yeah. yeah, she's like, uh, do you um, something dead? Do you Robin? Not Red Robin. So I was like, yeah, I like that. Um, and I, I'd still like to know where the the Joker is. There was that one comment of, that he was in there, but with a different face. Uh, but yeah, this is a great way to start a big event book. And um, Jeff Johns, uh, as far as I know, he's still he's still got it. He's still hasn't lost his touch with this kind of stuff. So I'm going to give it um, four and a half years that Dustin will uh, have to spend learning how to uh, trade cigarettes for um, favors in a Russian gulag. I actually did read this. Um, I'm going to be posting a review on the website. But I, yeah, I mean, sometimes I think uh, Jeff Johns is a bit slow to start off an event. Um, it probably helps that this is kind of coming straight out of the Trinity War, so it's kind of had like a, a prologue. Is prologue to it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that kind of helps. So it already had like a start jumping on point, and it's kind of just carrying on. But I, yeah, I definitely enjoyed this uh, start up. It's gonna be interesting to see what happens with Nightwing. I mean. People have already commented that this is similar to Identity Crisis, also written by Jeff Johns, and in there, instead of Superboy dying, it's supposed to be uh, Nightwing because of all of his connections, like, spanning the whole of the DC Universe. Um, and I've said before that if that's the idea here, if that's why they're using him, it doesn't really work anymore because in the New 52, he doesn't really have the connections. I mean, there wasn't supposed to be a Teen Titans before this incarnation of them, so he, do, he doesn't know half as many, even less than that, as many characters as he would have before uh, Flashpoint. So it, if that's the reason they're using him, it doesn't make as much sense, but as a Bat fan, it's definitely interesting seeing it 
being such a recognisable character, he's so close to home. I think uh, in an interview, Jeff Johns said the reason why they chose Nightwing is because like he represents the future of superheroes. Now that the Justice League and all the other ones supposedly dead, he's like the next one in line to kind of take over and be the leader of like of the heroes, which is kind of why they took him to be like, the poster boy. Yeah. yeah. I think, Terrence, you said you weren't quite sure what happened to the Justice League. Uh, that's not really said. Um, okay. So it's just like that end, the Trinity War ends with the uh, crime syndicate being there, and then bam, we cut straight to Forever Evil. So there's no you know, battle or anything where they die. So I'm imagining as this goes on, we'll find that out. And is this a weekly book, or is this going to be seven months long? I believe it's monthly. Okay. But um, just real quick, uh, the... You know, when Final Crisis came out, written by Grant Morrison, I heard Dan DiDio always saying, like, Final Crisis is what if evil won? What if evil won? You know, the good guys have to win every time. Evil only has to win once. And I never really got that impression from Final Crisis. Like, I never read that thinking, wow, this is what would happen if evil won. It was just, I know that that book was kind of all over the place and everything. With this book, I really got the feeling of, okay, this is what would happen if evil won. So I I think maybe they might have trying to do what Final Crisis failed to do, and I think they did a pretty good job of it. Uh, do you guys have any uh, ideas of, like, where... I don't want to say that. Like, where you think the story's going to go? Because um, it... I'm trying to sound intelligent here, and I'm not doing a really good job. of like hard at 2.47 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I know I know what you mean. Um, well, you know the Justice League's going to come back at some point in the end to set everything right, so I think the big question is just where are they right now? Yeah, and I'm wondering, is this also a part of a little mini retcon thing that they're going to try to attempt uh, to kind of fix some things or introduce, like, you know, Earth-3 or Earth-4? Um, are the villains going to realize that the crime syndicate is the real problem and, oh, crap, now the heroes aren't here and we need them type sort of thing, so we got to go back in time or we got to find them somehow? No, I don't think it's going to be that complicated or whatever, because I don't think they're going to have the crime syndicate kind of go back to get the Justice League's help for something. I think it's going to be your typical Justice League comes back, they fight, they beat them, and then maybe things are different now, but the the good guys will be, like, controlled, like, protecting the world again, so... No, I mean, like, Lex Luthor, Bizarro, and oh, Black, okay. Black Adam have to go get Batman, Wonder Woman, and The Flash. Like, the crime syndicate's out of control. That They're supposed to be the villains, not these guys. So then you're going to, like, DC Universe Online-type story where Luthor yeah. goes back in time to do that. So I think that'd be... Jeff Johns, I think, he did the story for that, or at least had the main outline for that story, I believe. Like kind of I think... Trading the, retreading the same thing. I think that's where they're going, though, because I just looked on the DC Comics website to see if it's weekly or monthly, and, you know, two comes out next month, and then three comes out in November, so it is monthly, but if you look at the cover of three, it's like the villains fighting, and it says, uh, with the world under the rule of the mysterious and deadly crime syndicate and our greatest heroes dead, it's up to the unlikeliest of defenders to rise up to save us. Humanity's only hope, Lex Luthor, question mark, exclamation point. So I think some of the villains are going to kind of fill in the hero's role, and some of them will side with the crime syndicate. And uh, Like you said, Tim, I, I feel like, yeah, they're just retreading, but I think that's where they're going with it. Well, if it's just the villains, if Luthor gets his own group of 
villains to take down the crime syndicate, that would kind of be something different where the Justice League has no say or, or has no effect on this outcome at all, where they just come back and then that's already taken care of. That would be something different, but I just don't see that happening. <laughs> They're going to have to show up and kind of set things right in some way. Tim, what did you think about it? Um, yeah, pretty much I thought it was a good starting off point for this event. I like the intro with Luthor recalling that time he's tried to save a cab, but it wouldn't come to him, so he just pushed it off. Just kind of showed you the evil mind that Luthor has. And then I thought it was cool to see Thomas Corden kind of getting hints of maybe Ted Corden will show up. I don't know if he'll be Blue Beetle again, but <laughs> it's nice to have that hint that he's probably exists in the new 52. And, of course, the big thing with Nightwing, um, I was always worried if it was going to be killed off. There's those rumors. We saw those preview images of the Nightwing symbol all bloody, so... I kind of like the outcome where they just didn't take the easy way out and killed him, but they had his identity revealed, which potentially could lead to some interesting storylines if it sticks. That's my only question. Is this going to stick, or when forever evil is done, it's going to be reset where nobody knows who Nightwing is and everything's just back to how it was? So we'll see. I think it has the potential to be something pretty different for the character that I'd like to see him try to confront and work through. So we'll see where that goes. But it's just always fun seeing these villains all together and then trying to, at the same time, trying to team up but arguing at the same time, especially the Batman villains. The sequence with Scarecrow and Arkham with the Riddler and Poison Ivy and Two-Face. I just love seeing all that stuff. So it's just a fun read overall. And it's kind of what what you expect when you see a book that just features all big-time villains. So, yeah, I liked it a lot. Thought it's off to a good start. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a four... Uh, out of five years that Dustin will spend in the Russian Gulag. Alright, so, um, you know, let's do, uh, uh, what do you call it? Batman the Dark Knight number 23.1. Uh, I read Alex's email first saying that he hated it and that he was done with Gail Simone, so I was a little biased going in, and yeah, it just was terrible. And I'm really annoyed by the cover. I mean, I was going to buy it anyway, but the cover, Shauna on the cover looks nothing like she looks inside. And then the cover's got Batman tied up um, behind her. And there's Batman is not even in the issue. And then they've got the Red Hood and uh, Red Robin and Batgirl and Batman and Alfred and Nightwing dolls all in the back. And they had nothing to do with the issue as well. And so um, there's no way I'll ever give back the 15 minutes of my life I spent reading this book. But um, probably with beer I can kill the memory. So I'm going to give it zero. If, if Dustin doesn't even have to go to the gulag. He just can get a, a ankle bracelet and be out on his own accord. All right, uh, Detective Comics. Let's go with uh, Tim. Yeah, this is another one I passed on. <laughs> I was in my comic shop with a big stack of books. Which ones do I have to put back? Which ones do I keep? And Charlie Wilson pointed out. Did anybody read this one? I did. I did. I oh, did. you did? Okay, uh, let's go with Terrence. All right, Poison Ivy in Detective Comics 23.1. I liked this issue a lot. I thought it was really good. The artwork was great. Um, it had two different styles. One was like the flashback, and then one of the the modern time. And the flashback used like all these pastels and had like a, a texture on the paper that made it look kind of old fashioned. Um, and, you know, Poison Ivy looks great in the issue, and she's going around Gotham and just kind of wreaking havoc. Um, and it gave a lot of her backstory. It showed how abusive her father was to her mother um, and how uh, one of the things I really like is that, you know, she said that the, her mother would always take the father back 
even though he'd give her like a black eye and stuff and he'd he'd always buy her back and he'd always bring flowers um to her for her apology and uh she says my father taught me that flowers could manipulate others i thought that was a cool line from poison ivy um and then in, the father ends up killing the mother and burying her in that garden in the backyard which then later on um poison ivy shows her going to college and experimenting with plants and then she ends up going back to a prison to see her father and kisses him which gives him the poison kiss that uh ends up killing him in prison so it was a really good twist and then it kind of kind of had her origin story a little bit where she worked for wayne tech and um bruce wayne kind of gets wind of what she's planning and gives her a stern lecture and um ends up firing her so she ends up going and um getting the chemical spilled on her and so I, the the whole chemical spill was a little weak um and the whole the, the Bruce Wayne thing is kind of weird cuz he does this whole thing where he chastises her and tells her that you know her her research is unethical and they won't support it and that she can't go to any other companies with it because she signed an agreement when she got hired so he owns the rights to everything so all her work he's going to just crush and all this and then um and then everybody's like well would you like me to write you a letter of recommendation? <laughs> so it's just, it was just kind of a weird thing. I, they could have just left that out. But, um, no, overall though, I, I, I really like this issue. And, um, uh, it'd be interesting to see where they're going to go with Poison Ivy because the, I don't think anybody's really been able to nail her down in the new 52. She was in Birds of Prey for a while, then she wasn't, then she was teamed up with Clayface. So, uh, hopefully going forward, they'll, they'll, have a good poison ivy so i'm going to give this three and a half years that dustin will spend in a russian gulag um where he'll learn to make license plates and all kinds of fun stuff yeah i you hit the nail right on the head with me i i really enjoyed this one um it if poison ivy stories are written uh from here on out like this one i'll I'm, I'm all for it. Um, they, I do like that she does mention that she was on Birds of Prey for a while and um, a couple other things here and there. But I, uh, I really did like this as well. So um, without you know repeating what you just said, I think you, you nailed it right on the head. So I too will give this a three and a half out of five years that Dustin's going to spend having to read the uh, Joker Batman issue. <laughs> all right. So that concludes our comic book reviews so with that uh we just want to remind you to head over to tweakedaudio.com and uh if you're gonna buy something uh you can put it in your card and you can type in tbu saves and you can uh receive 33 percent off on your entire order and free worldwide shipping so uh just go over to tweakedaudio.com uh but you can check out our host site, the Batman Universe, at thebatmanuniverse.net, on Facebook at facebook.com slash batmanuniverse, or on Twitter, and the Twitter handle is at batmanuniverse, and you can follow all of us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Tim at timg311, uh, you can follow Rob at drummerrob10, and you can follow um, uh, Terrence at iod1974. Uh, Joe, did you have a Twitter account? I don't go into that sort of thing, sir. Okay. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes as well as all of the other Batman Universe podcasts. And uh, you can rate and review us, and you can rate and 
interview them too. And you can email us at uh, batfast27 at gmail.com and you can check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Batman Batfast Podcast. So, with that, like I say all the time, we love you guys. Every single one of you. I'll see you guys next time. As Dustin would say. Bye, everybody. See you on the comic cons. See you. Oh, Dustin. He just love his fans. <laughs> Sorry, I had to take my hands off. Dramatic call. Alex is going to send you a hate film. Bye, everybody. If the music has to pay to make my message, I'm fine. needs to learn how to say, I'm not your girlfriend. Sometimes I look off the moon. Crying loudly is a rich boy's tune.